Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. It is good to be back in the studio. If you haven't been following our social media accounts currently, we survived... (laughs) A quote unquote monster snowstorm. A snowpocalypse. Snowpocalypse, if you will, <laughs> which uh, turned out to vastly miss the mark of the uh, amount that they were claiming. Bit of a, a, a nothing burger there. Right. But there was some high wind advisories and it was a little dangerous to record the sports show. So we opted not to. Fear not, we will be talking about that on the podcast next week. But you have turned in, tuned into the entertainment edition where we talk movies, TV, comics, and more. And we have a lot to discuss on that area. So definitely we want to keep this conversation going with you after the show. So swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Check out the T Public store. Check out the Patreon link. Shout out to our amazing patrons. One tier, $2 a month. And we have an idea for the special episode in March. Possibly. Dun, dun, dun. So if you want to find out, you got to sign up. The Parley Points blog section, the classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcasts, Dragon Master Games, and so many more. The directory, Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 315,000. Sounds about right to me. So if we're not on your favorite podcast player, you got to let us know where you're hearing us from, and we'll make sure we get that squared up. And for the music section, there's so much there at the website, we just simply say for anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Kicking off this edition of the show, mm-hmm. we had to actually do a coin flip because all three segments this week could have been a lead segment. But we landed on the show that definitely has garnered a bit of a buzz. It's right now kind of getting in this full swing of things. Mm -hmm. And that show is what, Pad? That would be uh, The Mandalorian. Yes, the Star Wars spinoff starring Pedro Pascal as the last Mandalorian with his uh, adopted child, Rogu, if you will. I mean, looks like a child, actual age, 52. Right, it's Star Wars, but that's how they break things down, so we just follow along. But the pair has definitely won over pop culture in three, uh, two seasons counting, and now obviously in season three. Yep. They're definitely making some strides to keep that hot streak rolling with Chapter 19, The Convert. So if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. What we'd like to do is give you a spoiler-free statement. So if you haven't seen the show yet, don't worry, we're not going to ruin anything for you. But we give you fair warning. After our spoiler-free statement, we go into a countdown. At that point, if you haven't seen the show yet and you don't want to have anything ruined, duck out of the episode, pause it where you're listening to, catch up on the episode, and jump back in. Because after that moment, we deep dive into the show. We hold nothing back. We don't want to hear, oh, man, you guys ruined this for for me. We give you fair warning. So just putting it out there. After the countdown, you know what time it is. So that said, let us talk the latest episode of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus Pad. Give me your spoiler-free statement on Chapter 19. Thought it was a good episode. Certain parts of it 
seem kind of, eh, what are we doing here? Where are things going? But I trust with, you know, uh, Dave Filoni and then uh, John Favreau at the helm, it'll pay off in the end. You know, you got to remember, we're kind of in the middle of two uh, trilogies here. We're in between the original trilogy and before the sequel trilogy. So, you know, we're, we're taking this opportunity to bridge some gaps, answer some questions, you know. So while it might not seem clear what we're doing here, down the road, this season, next season, it might pay off a little bit more. You know, it's not going to be an immediate payoff. You know, but overall, I thought it was a good episode. You know, not their best, not their worst. It was kind of like a middle of the road for me. I hate saying the word filler, but considering where we've been since they've returned for season three, Mm -hmm. this kind of felt like a filler episode. In certain instances. In in certain ways. Like the vibe of it after we change lead characters. I really thought, okay, this is an interesting direction to go in. I hope we have a big payoff Mm -hmm. later Mm -hmm. because otherwise... I can't really see why we're spending so much time on said character. Now, I don't think it was a bad episode. I want to stress this. Sure. But going in where I thought we were heading with this series, this threw me for a curveball that I just could not get a full grasp of. I did too. And it it took me a little bit to remember what that person had been doing, what they were tied into. And then once the ball started rolling and I started seeing what they were going with, I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm remembering, I'm seeing maybe where this goes, but I'll let it play. Yeah, that's the easiest way to do it because we know that with Dave Filoni and John Favreau, they like to really deep dive into the Star Wars mythos. Mm-hmm. They really like to plant Easter eggs. And where this is going to pay off, I mean, I'm sure we're expecting something big, maybe with Ahsoka, maybe right. with some of the other shows. Possibly by the season finale of The Mandalorian. We Could don't be. know. Could be. But I don't feel this is throwaway now, but I just think the the abruptness uh-huh. of bringing said character back yeah. really was making me question a lot of things. I, I think what it was, and I'm trying to be deliberately vague here, I think it was just kind of like trying to remind us, hey, remember this guy? You're, you're going to want to pay attention to this because I feel like a lot of times in TV – you only ever bring something up, and that can be a person, place, thing, event, whatever, if it's going to matter down the road. Yeah. You know, this this isn't like anime filler where you're watching this big battle going on between the, these two warring factions, and it's a knockdown, dragout fight. And, hey, we're going to spend three episodes with this other cast of characters who are off in someplace else. That, hey, they, they're not have anything to do with the story. We're never going to see him again. Mm-hmm. But we're just kind of filling some time here until we can get the other stuff done. To me, with this, it's like this is going to pay off at some point. It's just kind of like a gentle, eh, hey, remember this guy? You're going to want to remember. Because I'll be honest, I forgot about this dude. I completely did, too. So seeing him get so much screen time really baffled me. Not, not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. Like, I'm just saying, it just really surprised me. And... I want to say it took me out of the episode for a little while, but I came back in by the time it was done. Still a solid episode, nevertheless. So that said, let us get into that spoiler talk. So, Pad, in three, two, one, talk to me about Chapter 19, The Convert. Thought, Like I said, thought it was a good episode. You know, not the best, not the worst, kind of like in the middle of the road. You know, I'm, I like the, I see where they're going in terms of why they're doing this and kind of the stuff they're bringing in, and, you know, and they keep bringing up the cloning thing. And, you know, you remember, I think it was last season, we saw the really weird distorted looking body that was clearly 
one of the failed attempts to clone Palpatine or or what ended up turning into Snoke. Mm-hmm. You know, so we kind of know what this guy was getting into, you know, and, it, and it's filling that gap with, okay, how did we get to the Emperor getting thrown down the, the shaft of the second Death Star to he's alive in Rise of Skywalker? Yeah. And, and along the way, how did Snoke come about in this and that? So I think this is starting to like, and to this point, it is not, at least to my recollection. Yeah, it's never been said. Never been said how it happened. And like I said, I don't read every comic. I haven't read every book. And I'll, I I know I've missed I know I've missed a few. Contrary to popular belief. Yeah, contrary to popular belief. You know, to my knowledge, it hasn't been been explained yet. And, and a lot of times in Star Wars, when they do that, it's deliberate because they have something coming down the road for it. Or they just don't want to let you know, kind of like Yoda's uh, heritage. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think this is them kind of fill in, taking the opportunity to fill in that gap for the fans that want to know and, and just to kind of fill in the greater audiences where might not have fit in the movies overall. But now that you have this opportunity to not have to do a flashback and not have to do this long exposition of how it happened, you can take this time and really flesh it out. But for the story over in the episode overall, like I said, middle of the road, you know, don't hate it. Don't love it. You know, do I recommend watching it? I mean, if you're in the series, yeah, there's some stuff in here that I think is going to pay off down the road and play in down the road. But am I saying, oh, my God, you have to get up at, at 6 a.m. local time to watch this first thing in the morning? No. I have to agree with you on that. And I, I'm going to say a comparison, but hear me out before I, I can sense the rage building in you. Okay. This reminded me of Teen, of Titan season two premiere. Never saw it, so maybe. So, well, I know I know your feelings on the show. So, I just want to stress like this: we kicked off with finishing up the Mandalorian's portion of the story, sure, and then we went right into the next phase, sure, where it just felt like we could have ended Mando's story last episode, like we didn't need, yeah, we didn't need it carrying over, yeah. And yeah. I, and I think when they when you try doing something like this, especially with how quick they tied it up, yeah, that wasn't very long. Yeah, I was just like, why are we carrying it over here? Because you're giving so much time to Doctor Pershing, yeah, who we haven't seen since season one of the Mandalorian. Oh, so I can look up on the Star Wars Wikipedia. It's been a hot minute. I'm gonna say since season one, but it was great seeing Omid Abatai come back in the role, and really have a story for him but i'm kind of questioning like why why did we do this when this could have been done in like a short or, or something in that variation so the last episode we saw him in was uh chapter 16 the rescue which was episode eight of season two really i honestly forgot yeah like that that is how much he's made an impact after season one well even for me as big a star wars fan as i am you know having watched season one twice to get ready for season two mm-hmm. i've only seen season two well i've seen most of the episodes of season two uh twice except except the final episode i've seen that like a hundred times yeah uh, you know but even for me at first i forgot who he was but then as i looked at the face i'm like oh right it's this guy and then they mentioned cloning i'm like oh right he's the guy with was really into cloning before he got arrested and he was figuring out how to clone Palpatine. Yeah. But like I say, he hasn't really made that much of an impact, at least memorable to me right. since season one. Like if season two, I completely forgot he was in. But it's, and it's nothing against the actor by any means. Right. It's just. He was there for such a blink and you miss it portion. Right. Because the great thing that they do with the show is they give you that recap before yes. if you want, which yes. I, I like how streaming services do. Highly recommend it. Yeah. I talk about this in, in the comics blog a lot for Parlay Points that. When a company does a quick 
recap sure in whatever variation for new readers i think more tv shows need to do this for new viewers coming in well and i'm looking at the appearances again and this is why he's almost forgettable for season two he's only in three episodes of season two so episode season one he's in there for one episode or two episodes excuse me right uh the first episode and then the third episode but for season two he's technically in three episodes but so chapter 12 the siege is the first one he appears in for season two but it's a hologram so okay so yeah not really there the second episode he technically appears in but he's mentioned only by name is chapter 14 the tragedy so he only actually physically appears in one episode of season two that's why he's probably so forgettable for season two well that's the whole thing because he really didn't have that much of an impact for his character like on the overall story for season two right at least in my opinion so you know but if you're a fan of him hey it, it played off well for this episode but first like i say we tie up the cliffhanger ending from last week's episode, which caught some online disputes. Sure. And I want to kind of put this out there right now. Okay. The critiques that I was hearing about The Mandalorian Uh last week was about the lighting in the cave. Yeah. Now, Pad, what was your feelings on that? I understood it. I watched the episode fairly early in the morning, 6.30 a.m. Eastern, because I had to work that day, and I wanted to watch it before work, because I knew I wouldn't have time once I got out of work Mm -hmm. to watch it before we recorded. So, and and plus, it's been real cold here, so I've had my blackout curtains drawn just to keep the cold air out. So, it was pretty goddamn dark in the the living room I was watching in. You know, so I, I had a little bit of issues with certain spots, but it wasn't overall, like... I'm shutting off lights and I'm shutting blinds and I'm shutting curtains and I'm doing this. I'm doing like, I didn't have that much of issue, but there was a little bit. I understood people's complaints about it to a degree. Yeah. But then again, they had to realize where he, the characters were. Yeah. You're underground in a place that had been bombed out 20 years ago. Exactly. 30 years ago. It's not meant to be an ideal resort to put it mildly. Yeah. And yes, it's going to be dark. It's going to be grimy. It's going to be very hard to see as it's supposed to be. So it played into the role it was. But I think for a lot of people that said, oh, this is the worst episode because of that, I disagree with that take because that's a very minor thing and it shouldn't take you out because they're going into an underground cave. Mm -hmm. Like I just think for a lot of the critique I was hearing, people were saying, oh, this is the worst episode because of this. And And I strongly disagree with it. Like you're entitled to your opinion. I just disagree with it right. based on that fact. But we do resume where Din Djarin has been saved by Bo-Katan, played by Katie Sackhoff, who does phenomenal in the role of Bo-Katan. Yeah. And she has saved him from drowning underwater in the living water. Mm-hmm. And when she pulls him up, they're kind of having a recap of what has happened. Well, I think they're also just trying to process what the fuck just happened. Yeah, that now the Mandalorian has been absolved of Mm -hmm. his discretions against the Mandalorian code. And he does take a sample of the living waters with him. Yep. And Bo-Katan is really having this back and forth conversation with him, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't come out and say what she saw underwater. Yeah. And we made a point about this last week on the episode, but pad, what was underwater? So that was a mythosaur, which was a mythical beast, or what they thought was a mythical beast, uh, that the original Mandalorian who, who conquered the planet, 
conquered one of these giant beasts and supposedly rode them mm-hmm. and were thought to be extinct. Yes. And and it was brought up in the last episode that Bo-Katan told him this whole thing. And it's clearly a very, like, even their lo- their little logo that people have seen for, like, God knows how many years at this point. That's what, that's a skull of a mythosaur. Yeah. That, it, that it's like this religious, almost highly important character or creature to their whole race. Yes. So it, it's it's quite a big deal, and the fact that Bo-Katan doesn't like come out and say it, yeah, that she's she's got to be withholding that for a reason. There's a reason, yeah, exa- exactly what I was thinking too. There's got to be a reason for yeah. it, yeah, because she is just saying you didn't see anything underwater. Because well, sure? if, if that's me coming out of the water, I'm like, yo, did you see the fucking giant dinosaur that was down there? Yeah, like what the fuck was that? But she she knew she saw it and. He was probably unconscious because he fell farther than he thought because he uh, didn't even brings up. He's like, that went deeper than I thought. And, she, and Bo-Katan brings up, well, yeah, it probably got split open from the bombing during the siege. Yeah. And so he probably got knocked out on the way down or, or whatever. Oh, easily. You know, so she's bringing it back up. Sees it, and, and growing up on the planet, being a member of the royal family. You know, and, and learning enough about the culture and the history, she absolutely knew what that was and mm-hmm. was like, I can't tell him this because of why? Reasons. So they wind up making an escape out of the cave, and they're planning on going back to Bo-Katan's planet of yep. Kalvala. Mm-hmm. And on the way there, who happens to make an appearance, Pad? Uh, that would be a group of Imperial TIE fighters. Well, TIE interceptors is what they were. Yeah, so the Empire is trailing them now. And supposedly it's from an Imperial warlord because, well, they're kind of a loose conglomerate. They're not really organized. Yeah, right now the Empire is just they're there. fragments. They're there. They're just kind of not organized, which comes back, spoiler alert, comes back to bite them in the ass later. Oh, yes. But like I said, they're all fragments of what used to be the Empire. Yeah. So everybody has their own agenda. Yep. And you see this group going after Bo-Katan and Din Djarin and Grogu. Which, I, which I, got, I can't help but wonder why they were there in the first place. I mean, this is a planet that was bombed. I tried looking up a date. There was, there's been no firm data when it took the bombing took place on Mandalore. So this is an Imperial warlord, although probably not an Imperial warlord. There for a sp- very specific reason, because the planet's supposedly poisoned and supposedly cursed, and you're not able to serve. So why the fuck are they there? Did they maybe trip off a, a sensor or something? That's sort what of I some- thought. Some sort of alert? We don't know. I'm sure we'll find out. Well, you have to think with the Empire doing what they did, they're keeping an eye, at least whoever was involved with it. Sure. Is keeping an eye on the solar system sure. around and seeing who's coming and going from sure. the planet. Sure. And I guarantee you that they had something set up for going in those caves. Could be. And once Bo-Katan tripped it off, uh, they were definitely in hot pursuit. Oh, yeah. Great action sequence with Loved the flying. It. Yeah, this really was Star Wars to me. Yes. So you definitely see that they're flying. Mando has to make this dramatic airdrop. Oh, my God. When they get back to Bo-Katan's castle uh-huh. to get into his ship. Yep. And it's it's a very cool Mission Impossible-esque moment. Mm-hmm. And pulls it off. So now he's now flying in his own plane. Bo's in her plane. And they're just dodging and weaving between all the TIE fighters. I'm just waiting. I haven't seen it yet. I'm sure it exists. I just haven't had time to look. Danger zone? No. Well, okay, yes, partially that. But no, I'm just waiting for the guitar rift and Freebird for when he drops out of her starship. That would be cool, too. I, I know it exists. I haven't had time to find it, but I, I'm going to find it. I was waiting for Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins to start kicking it. Because like, somebody's going to be making that on TikTok, yeah. I guarantee you. Yeah. But 
they wind up escaping for the moment. For the moment. Well, they take out, I think there was like five or six. There was, yeah, there were six to start. There was six to start. They take them all out, and then she sees, uh, Bo-Katan sees smoke rising over one of the hills mm. and puts two and two together what happened. Yeah. And that was Thai bombers had flown in and destroyed her castle, yeah. her, her home. And that pissed her the hell off. So she takes off after them. I think she she destroyed one of the bombers. And she's still going after it. Apparently her radar doesn't go out as far as Mandalorian's does. Mm-hmm. Because he sees on his scope, he goes, oh, I, I see more approaching on the scope. And he just sees the sheer number of them and goes, uh, we're outgunned here. We need to leave. And it gets to the point where a bunch of them start passing her, Bo-Katan. And mm-hmm. that's when she realized, oh, shit. We're, we're outnumbered here. We need to leave. And, yeah. I, and as they're leaving, I can't remember if it was the Mandalorian or if it was Bo, but one of them says, this seems like a lot for a warlord. Yeah, it was, I think I think it was Bo-Katan. She goes, this seems like a lot for a warlord. So implying that yeah, it could be a moth, it could be someone higher. Yeah, so somebody definitely has a vested interest in what they're up to. Uh-huh. Mandalorians, though, has an escape route in play. Yeah. And... Sends Bo-Katan the coordinates. Everybody hyperspeeds out of there. Yep. And they wind up going back to Mandalorian's secret hideout, if you will. Yeah. Which definitely plays a big role here for their story moving forward. Because the Mandalorian returns to the secret enclave where all the other Mandalorians who have been underground are hiding. Yep. And the armor is the head person there. And Mando comes and presents... The armorer with the living waters sample that he has. Well, yeah, because he shows up there and they're like, oh, you're, I forget what the word is, but like, you're basically banned from coming here. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he's like, well, I bathed in the living waters. That's impossible. You know, they were buried under the rubble from the purge all those years ago. No, that was a lie. They're there. She witnessed. And, and who is this? And there's this great long pause because she, Bo is debating yeah. whether she should tell them or not because she knows when she says her last name what it's going to do because she could have come up with some random name or whatever, but she's like, you know what? They recognize my armor. They know who I am. I can't hide. Exactly. I can't hide this. So she goes, I'm Bo-Katan of house Crees," And they go, Oh, that's fine. And he goes, Oh, I've got proof. So they bring the proof and Bo uh, back to the armor. And I love this little effect. where like, because I was like, it's water. How the fuck are they going to prove mm-hmm. that this? She pulled the armor pours the living water into this giant metal basin of water, and it lights up like the northern lights. Yes, it was a cool effect. It was it was super cool. She's like, no, he's telling the truth. And so all of a sudden, he so he's back in the fold. You know, oh hey, you're absolved of your crimes. And then it, Bo brought up like, oh, I I know he bathed him because I went in to save him. And it's interesting that this is where the title of the convert gets brought in, at least once, mm-hmm. where the armor goes brings up, well, did you, you know, when you jumped in the, after you jumped in the water, have you taken your helmet off since then? And she says, no. She goes, well, then for as long, as long as you keep your helmet on, you can stay with us for as long as you want. Yeah. So it's an interesting play concerning Bo's story moving forward. I really liked how they snuck that in. Yeah. I thought that was very, very clever by the writing team because now Bo's in a very, very odd situation because she definitely has conflicting views from the armorer about the Mandalorian's way. So how this is going to play out, 
definitely something to keep an eye on moving forward. But right there, that's had to be about, what, the first 10 minutes of the episode, give take? 10, 20, yeah. Like, no, it was early because for how long the episode went, it now shifted to the second half of the story. Uh-huh. And like I say, this felt to me like this could have been a short. They could have done this online. They could have yeah. done this as like a, a, you know, like how Marvel Studios does with Werewolf by Night. Yes. And some of like the one shots they've done. You could have done a one shot with this episode, and I thought it would have been played out a little better. But I think the fact that we went here, it has to have bigger ramifications moving forward. Oh, yeah. Because if it doesn't, this was a, I don't want to say it was a waste of time, but it just felt like forced in there to kill time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my vibe with it. Because we go back to a familiar place, Pad. Yeah. Kurosan. Uh-huh. And why is that so important? Uh, because that is the galactic center of the universe. That is where, for a lot of years, the government, various governments that have run the galaxy have all uh, originated from. Yes. So we open up on Kurosan, and there is a speech going on. Yeah, it's like a TED Talk. Yes. By one Dr. Penn Pershing. Uh-huh. It was, once again, like I said, reprising the role of that is Omid Abatai. And Dr. Pershing is thriving now yeah. in the New Republic. Yeah, he's in the he's in this uh, program called the Amnesty Program, which, don't know what it is. It's a brand new organization. There's not even a page for it on the Star Wars Wikipedia page, so I can't tell you what the history of this thing is because, hey, it's new to me. Uh, my guess, though, is based on the name Amnesty Program, it's a program kind of... Kind of what the United States and other governments did after World War II with German scientists and some other scientists, mm-hmm. where they brought them in and they used them for their work and, and this, that, and the other. My guess is that's kind of what it's like. We're like, hey, we know the Empire, for all their fucking horrible things they did, had some really smart people on the payroll. Why don't we bring them in, you know, under our our terms and under our jurisdiction and our watch and have them do some work? Yeah. It's a it's a weird thing they try doing here because we do see that Dr. Pershing is not the only person involved in this program. No. And he does run into well actually we should give a little background for Dr. Pershing. Yeah. The last time we saw him was in season 1 pad. So well, season 2 technically. Well season yeah, but season 1 was the big deal. And, yeah. and who was he working with at the time? Uh he was working with uh the gentleman I forget the guy's name, but he was the one who wanted to capture Grogu. Yes. So that they could attempt to clone him. Yes. So, Dr. Perishing has always had something to do with clones. And the Force. Yes. So, he has definitely been a person of interest in that area, but we haven't really seen him since that moment because the initial time when Grogu was getting kidnapped, Mm -hmm. it was one and done for him. And like I say, he was in a blink and forget about a moment in season two. Right. Well, the only thing we saw with him for season two was we saw him continuing to do his work someplace else. And like I said, there was that one scene where, like, I think they even lingered on it for a second, where there was the body in the back to tank, and it looked really fucked up. Mm-hmm. And you're able to put put two and two together that that looks like it was supposed to have been. Because remember, he was a part of the group that was trying to capture Grogu and yep. attempt to clone a force sensitive user, which has never been done before. Right. And we ended up, we know who ended up getting cloned later in the franchise, a certain former emperor. Mm-hmm. You know, so what it looked like in the body we saw was one of the failed attempts to clone Palpatine yeah. or what would have been Snoke. Yeah, so this might lead into that. We don't know. I hope it does, though. Oh, I'm sure it will. Because as we see, Perishing is now meeting with a few other people involved with the amnesty program. Mm-hmm. And he sees somebody that he does not exactly know how to react to. And that's Ilya Kane. Ilya Kane, yeah. So 
Uh, Katie O'Brien is playing Ella Kane, mm-hmm. and definitely has a vested interest in Doctor Perishing. Oh yeah, because she used to work for uh, Moff Gideon. Yes. So there's a little bit of weird uneasiness. It's almost like the first day of school, and you see somebody that you mm-hmm. haven't seen all summer. It's kind of that vibe. But you see that Kane is really trying to befriend Dr. Pershing. Yeah. And going out of the way, in fact, is even to the point finding out about what his favorite food was when he yeah. was with the Empire. And, right. And sneaking in the the ration crackers yep. that they used to do. Uh, almost like the ones you get at uh, restaurants with the soup. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I say, it's it's the pre-wrapped crackers. Yeah, and you can tell that it's not a great living for these folks because they all live in like the same size quarters, mm-hmm. all wearing the same type of clothes and same color clothes. You know, they're not given names. They're given, you know, amnesty officer and then a letter and a number. Yeah. You know, but then also probably once a week, once a day, it's not clear. There's a droid who comes and visits them and asks them the same series of questions. You know, are you happy? Are you, are you, how are you mentally? Are you, is there anyone you're mad at? Are you mad at the new Republic? So they clearly don't trust them. Well, obviously, dealing with anybody from the Empire, you just can't. And the fact that the Republic is trying to do this amnesty program is very questionable. Yeah. There's a lot that can go wrong. Yeah. But as we've seen over the times in Star Wars, the Republic makes a lot of bad decisions. Yeah, they do. Jar Jar Binks as a senator. Well, that was the old Republic. Still, that's caused the whole deal going on with Order 66 and everything. So. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, I'm just putting it out there. So, And you wonder why I don't like the character. I digress. As we go further in this story, though, Kane is really trying to pressure Pershing mm-hmm. into his research. Yeah. And why he gave it up. Well, because he's starting to feel like unfulfilled in what he's doing. And he even brings up, I think it's the second time the droid asks him the series of questions. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, can I... Do some, uh, he, he kind of asks a simple question. Oh, can I do some of my own work on my own time? Well, that's because Kane is kind of planting that bug in him. Oh, yeah. She's really trying to push, like, you yeah. should really try, you know, how much good you could do with the Republic. And, yeah. And he's very much steering away from it. So when he does have that meeting with the droid, he does slide that in because he's very happy getting the pardon. Yeah. And he doesn't want to cross that and have a very worse fate. He knows there's a very unhappy sentence at the other end of the pardon. Yes. If it gets taken away. Uh Uh-huh. And the droid immediately goes into its, like, political, legal, well, no, you can't because under Coruscant, whatever, blah, 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 section this, part that, no, you can't. Yeah. So he accepts that. He is one that's really not pushing it forward. But Kane is not giving up on this. No. And is really pushing the point, like, you don't realize what your research could do. It could revolutionize the Republic yeah. and the universe moving forward. Think of all the good the Kaminoans did. You could expand on that. Yeah, so it's a really crazy deal. Yeah. And like I said, Katie O'Brien, who's, who's playing the role here of Kane, is so much invested in it. Like, she is really coming across and saying, like, we can do this. I'll show you how. And talks perishing into making a run to go get some equipment uh-huh. in this high-speed train-jumping uh, yeah. plan. Like, I mean, how would you describe it, Pat? Uh, it, it's kind of this, like, heist-type yeah. heist scenario 
Yeah. I mean, that's the easiest way to, to kind of thank you because I was blanking on the words because you see them sneaking around after hours. Yeah. And it's almost one thing with the MSC program. I wonder if they have a curfew mm, that they be. did not divulge, but it would make a lot more sense because you see Kane and Pershing taking off on a train. They sneak on there. Uh huh. And they're trying to get to a warehouse type place. Yeah. One of the former ships, if you will. Yeah, one of the Star Destroyers that's been decommissioned. And it got mentioned by one of the other uh, Amnesty workers mm-hmm. that it was being cataloged for the stuff on it. Yeah, so like I say, they've almost made those ships into warehouses. Yeah. So you see Kane and Pershing are making a run there to go get yep. items for his research. They open one of the doors and starts making loud noises, and he's like, He's he's nervous as all hell. Oh yeah, you know where he's he's looking around. He's jumpy. He's he's this. He's that. And the door makes a lot of noise. And he starts freaking out. She's like, "Yeah, don't worry. Listen, it's decommissioned. Why would anybody care about what's here?" Mm-hmm. But once this happens, this is where the episode really kind of turns, and this is where it really caught my attention. Yeah, because things went too easy. Yeah, like they're on the train and they escape. Yep, with the droid robot coming after them, which I thought was. Yeah. A little too simple. Sure. And I understand why, you know, TV constraints and, and what such. Sure. So when they jump off and they're running through the town and they finally get to the Star Destroyer. Yeah. They're now on there. They're not tripping up any kind of alarms by any means. Well, and, and, and especially this ship has clearly been sitting there for a while. This isn't something fresh out of out of outer space, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting there brand spanking new. This thing has clearly been sitting there a while and... They're going through kind of the guts of this Star Destroyer, and then makes a, there's a loud noise that occurs, and he freaks out goes, oh, my gosh, what was that? And she goes, oh, don't worry. It's just the ship settling. And my first reaction was she goes, oh, it's just the ship settling. And I go, settling from what? Yeah. It's been sitting there for a while. Yeah. So you can kind of tell at this moment things are not right. She's uh, just rolling that string out and leading him along. Yep. And he's just pulling on that string and just following blindly. Mm-hmm. Because he does grab some equipment, puts it in a briefcase type object. Yep. They make a run, mm-hmm. and once they get outside, who's waiting for them? That would be the Coruscant security. Yep. So you see a ship flying overhead with a big spotlight on them. Yep. You, you see uh, law enforcement yep. come over yep. and arrest them, and sure enough, and they don't arrest her. They don't arrest her. She turns and stands right by their side because she sold his ass out. Yep. So Pershing is now caused a uh, violation as parole. You cannot trust her for anything. No, absolutely not. I wouldn't trust her if she passed me a uh, picture of salt. Yeah. Well, that's what I say. You 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 couldn't trust her for anything, even if she was giving out those uh, delicious crackers. <laughs> like, You're not wrong. No, and that's the whole thing. Like He wound up buying into the idea yeah. of his research because yeah. at the end of the day, Pershing is a flawed character. Yes. And it makes perfect sense. Like yeah. This is his life's work. And, and scientists, especially in television and movies will forego all chances of their safety and security if it means furthering their research. Exactly. It almost had a weird um better call Saul vibe to it. Kind of. Almost like just for the sheer fact yeah. of Yeah. You you have a character that had to give up what they love doing. Yep. And they have a new life and they're trying to move on from it but they can't escape from their past. This is what happens with Dr. Pershing. But now he's caught Violating his parole mm-hmm. and has to deal with the Republic's uh, law enforcement. Yep. And they decide that they are going to mind wipe him. Yeah. Now, Pad, you need to explain this to me a little bit. I'll try. To what degree were they mind wiping him? 
so the way the Mon Calamari person was explaining this, because he uh, Pershing starts freaking the fuck out because he's seen this thing before. I think he called it like a, a solar flare or something. Flare. Mind flare. Mind flare. The Empire, it sounds like, used this device to completely wipe a person's mind. Mm-hmm. And the way the Mon Calamari was describing it was like, he's like, well, yeah, it does that, but only at high doses. If we keep this to a low voltage, a low dose, you know, it'll only wipe out certain aspects and it'll only wipe out some of the bad stuff. And it's not, he, he, he and I think he was lying here because he goes, oh, it's, it's actually quite a refreshing experience. I've had it done several times myself. Yeah, yeah. Myself. I thought that was very key saying. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you're bullshitting your way from yeah, this, my him, guy. him saying that was, was a line of crap right there. So my guess is the way it's supposed to work at a low dose is kind of like that you think of like the neuralizer for men in black yeah where there's different settings to it mm-hmm. my guess is it's a low setting so that it'll only wipe out the last couple days the last couple weeks yeah something like that kind of like a soft reset my guess is and, and as soon as uh she said this uh, elia said this like oh he's a friend despite his flaws i want to stay behind and watch him you know, as soon as she said that, I'm like, yeah, she's because they brought up, oh, yeah, high, high voltage. I'm like, yeah, that thing's going to get fucking cranked here at some point. Yep. And as soon as she said, oh, I want to stay behind and, and stay with him. I'm like, yeah, she's going to crank this fucker. Oh, yeah. She cranks it to 11. So my guess is once it gets to the the high voltage, it's a hard reset. Yeah. That his mind is going to be utterly and totally wiped, that he might be a vegetable. That's what I thought I was thinking, too. Because he's sitting there and he's screaming about, yeah. you know, that Elliot set him up and, and just, yeah. and they're not hearing it. Like, right. even even the line, it's a trap got said. Yeah. Which I, I had to admit, I marked yeah. out for a little bit. Because even the, the little lightning bolts or whatever going into it are like this blue and purple and white, kind of like these nice colors. Mm-hmm. She cranks it to 11, they go full red. Yeah. It was very telling about how Kane was committed to getting Dr. Pershing. Yeah. Like, to get him punished. And essentially killing him. Essentially, yeah. Because I don't see how he survives this in any other way than he's brain dead. He's got he's got to be brain dead because she turns that literally up to eleven. Like no yeah, lie about this. It, it's it's tying off a loose end. What that loose end is, I don't really know because all he did was cloning. So you know whatever it is, she's tying up a loose end, and, and this dude's got to be brain dead. Well, that's the only thing I could think is maybe it's something with Moth Gideon. Yeah, that like, there was something involving him that we don't know about exactly. He only, he only got we haven't seen him yet. He only got a brief mention um, in episode two that mm-hmm. he, like he got arrested and he was put on trial someplace else. That like uh, Carl Weathers mentioned him briefly. Yeah, I mean that's the one thing that I don't exactly know how they're playing it out. That's, right, because that's the biggest bubble that we have. Devoting an entire episode to this guy and not have that big payoff. I thought was very, very odd. Right. And it wasn't anything against the acting. Like I say, I wasn't mad about it. I wasn't you know, angry in any way, shape, or form. So I'm just sitting there going, what are we doing here Right. that we've now devoted so much time to him unless you're setting up Elliot Kane to be a threat later and try taking down the Republic from the inside or, or just maybe she did that to cover her own tracks. 
I don't know. Right. They're being deliberately deliberately vague on what happened to Gideon, too, because I looked up his Star Wars Wikipedia page. Uh, and a brief little bit for the season says, quote, After the assault on his cruiser, Moff Gideon was placed under the arrest of the New Republic. Paz Vizsla and the armorer believed that only death would have been justice for his atrocities. According to Din Jaren, it was very likely that he would be executed for his crimes by the New Republic Tribunal, although the armorer doubted that. Yeah. So, deliber- like, all we know is he got arrested and put on trial. We don't know what happened to him. No, we don't. So there's a lot of gray area with this character. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say this was a bad episode. No. But it was just kind of puzzling that you'd focus so much time on him just to kill him off. It's not like he was a character like Werner Herzog's client. Yes. You know, it wasn't like him yes. that, okay, yes. a lot of fans had invested interest in. Or even Moff Gideon or, or somebody on that right. level. Right. Perishing is a solid character, but it's... Right, you know, uh, you, a, a non-important it, it, one. It, it's I mean, a character for a story that we don't even really f- haven't foreseen or seen what the end result is. We know what it's going to be. You know, it's Snoke and then Palpatine coming back. Yeah, but we haven't seen that. So you're killing off a guy that's kind of loosely tied to that, and you're bringing that storyline back in. You know where it plays out. I don't know. We'll we'll see. But it, it was interesting that they decided to bring it in. And like I've said before, nothing in Star Wars is ever brought in for just a random film. Right. It, it seems like it. You know, that, like I said, there was an episode of Rebels where they stole Hammerhead Cruiser ships, which are the ones with like the, the look like the top part of a hammer. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they captured those. It seemed like at the time filler episode. But then you go to watch Rogue One and hey. The the rebellions using those same cruisers in the Battle of Scarif. It's like, oh hey, tie and that's how they got that. Do you need to know it? No, but it's fun if you saw the episode, you know. But they're bringing this in and bringing up this storyline for a very deliberate reason. What it is, don't know yet. No, we just have to sit back and wait and see because obviously we don't have a preview for next week's episode. Right. Right. We go into these pretty cold. Right. And that's nothing wrong with it. It's not a shot by any means. Oh, yeah, yeah. I prefer it that way. Exactly. Same here. But I just thought it was odd placing unless we have a big payoff with it. Right. And if they want to bring it back for Ahsoka, I'm okay with it. Sure. This is kind of the uh, quote-unquote long-term booking. Well, I, I think given what Ahsoka is going to be about, mm-hmm. and that's finding Grand Admiral Thrawn and finding Ezra. You know, because, hey, spoiler, at the end of Star Wars Rebels, those two characters go missing and they go off to go find them. Um, my guess is that was what the they they brought up. All oh, this is more than uh, a uh, Imperial Warlord. Mm-hmm. My guess is it's Thrawn. Yeah. So that could be an early tease for Thrawn. That'd be an amazing tease for, for Thrawn. Uh, next week's episode, though, going to be huge because, well, like you said, we don't know anything about it other than it's titled Chapter 20, mm-hmm. uh, directed by some dude named Carl Weathers. Ooh. And then uh, written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. So, Locke, it's going to be a great episode. Oh, goddamn right it is. Filoni's writing. Leap, Ahsoka. Could be. Ahsoka, or we'll see. Ahsoka's his baby. Ahsoka's, you know, his creation. Yeah, yeah. He is very, very protective of that character. And I definitely see her showing up at some point. Yeah. Like I said, if it wasn't going to be this episode, it's going to be episode seven. Yeah. So we'll have to kind of see how this all plays out. 
But overall, Pat, final thoughts on the episode? thought it was a fun episode. You know, I like the action. I like the interesting story and kind of like the mystery and plot behind it. Interested to see where it goes. Not quite sure. Also want to give a shout out. Uh, if it looked, if the building at the beginning of Doctor Pershing's thing looked really familiar, because it did to me, yeah, it's because it's the opera house that we saw from Revenge of the Sith, where we heard about. Oh, like I'm like this building and the carpet looks really fucking familiar, and I looked it up. Yeah, it's the Galaxy's Opera House where Palpatine told Anakin about a certain tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Interesting. Same building. Just a little fun tie back. Like I said, tie back to the prequels, which I love. Yeah, I, I like how they tie things back to the prequels. But the show is definitely still a solid watch. This episode, not my favorite, but it's not saying anything bad about it. I just didn't like how the pacing was that we had 10 minutes of Mando and, and Bo-Katan. Yeah. And then gone. And then we focus on what feels like a throwaway episode unless we have some payoff. If this comes back down the road, I will say this is a great setup for Thrawn if that's the direction they go in. Which would be perfect if they did. But to spend some time, so much time on a throwaway character, right? I mean, let's face it, Pershing doesn't really move the needle. If you say, "Hey, we're featuring Doctor Pershing," yeah, that's like an I'm not watching it first thing in the morning. I'll watch it at some point. Yeah. So to focus so much time, there's got to be a big payoff if they start setting up for Thrawn's appearance in this. Right. I'm all for it, and I will say this was a great way to lead in. But for right now, it was solid for what it was, but. I'm with you. This is not one that I scream is a must-watch, but one I think you definitely will enjoy if you like the series thus yeah, far. Yeah. But that's our takes on or Chapter 19, a.k.a. Episode 3 of Season 3 of The Mandalorian. But why don't you hit us up on that hashtag and let us know what you thought. Hashtag ODPHpod. Tell us about your thoughts about The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus, Season 3, Episode 3, otherwise known as Chapter 19, The Convert. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to The Capsule Life, a show for the most casual and dedicated fans of comics and a member of the Comic Watch family. I'm your host, Sean. Join me and discover what the world of comics and graphic novels have to offer. From one-on-one interviews with industry professionals, roundtable discussions with passionate fans, and reviews on the latest comics, TV shows, and movies. You can also check out our website, www.thecaptionlife.com, to find out where you can listen to us, a list of all of our episodes, and where you can find us on social media under the user name at caption life you'll get a new episode from us every week so hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out coming back for another segment on this edition of the odph podcast and it is time to say goodbye for now for now to arguably tv's number one show uh the ratings would agree with you yeah so let us talk about the season one finale of a television phenom that has really shown video game shows can come over to the pop culture audience and be successful if you really follow the source material and you really make it about the characters. Mm -hmm. Pad, what show am I talking about? That would be season one of The Last of Us. Yes, the HBO Max hit series based off the video game starring Pedro Pascal as Joel and Bella Ramsey as Ellie, finding their way through a post-apocalyptic world that is getting infected daily by a fungus that is devastating all of humanity. On paper, it doesn't sound like it will work, but this show has definitely surpassed all expectations. Mm -hmm. It has now crossed over into that pop culture must-watch show of the week, 
and we have now reached the season finale. But there's a lot to talk about with that. Yeah, so we got to talk some numbers because despite the Oscars being on uh, at the same time this was going on, starting even before this episode uh, dropped, which the Oscars drew 18.8 million viewers, just for some context, uh, the final episode of The Last of Us still managed to score 8.2 million viewers. And reading from an article on Variety.com, says, quote, The Last of Us closed its final season with yet another triumph. With an audience of 8.2 million people for episode 9, the series broke its own viewership record, a significant feat considering that the finale was released during ABC's telecast of the Oscars. A combination of Nielsen numbers and first-party data from Warner Brothers Discovery, this number accounts for those who tuned into the Sunday night airings on HBO's cable channel, as well as streams on HBO Max through the night. WBD also shared that the first six episodes of the series are now averaging 30.4 million Holy viewers. Crap including ongoing viewership past initial airings with episode one alone approaching 40 million total viewers in the, in the weeks since it debuted. In Europe and Latin America, The Last of Us has become the most watched show in HBO Max's history. Close quote. And rightfully so. I think every accolade the show has gotten has been rightfully deserved. Uh-huh. This show has really dived into the characters. Yes. And the one win that it's had is it hasn't focused so much on the virus that's infecting right. and turning people into the monsters known as clickers right. and bloaters. It almost takes a vaccine at times. It does. And I think that that's why this show is connecting so much with the pop culture audience. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that you have such strong acting from the two leads on this show and everybody that's came on to play side roles to them. Yeah. Nobody's dropped the ball. No. Like, like and it's not to say, you know, in other shows that somebody has, but when you when you have such a high standard, yeah, that is established by your leads, you're really challenging the rest of your cast to bring it. And each time on this show, everybody stepped up to it. Mm-hmm. Everybody completely has. Mm-hmm. And now you have this show going into a finale that people understand if you play the video games. But if you don't, you come into this very cold and you're going, okay, what's going to happen next? Yeah, yeah. And we always compare this in a sense to The Walking Dead because, in my opinion, and Pad, please correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't seen a show in this type of genre and style connect with such an audience since the first season of The Walking Dead. No, you're right. I mean, there have been other shows in the same genre, you know, the zombie, survivor, post-apocalyptic you know, style, you know, Z Nation, Black Summer come to mind, you know, but none of them have hit the kind of success that The Walking Dead did mm-hmm. for that first season where it was all anyone was talking about. And for a good number of seasons was going up against and even beating the number one ratings juggernaut on Sunday. That was Sunday Night Football. Yep. You know, obviously the matchup would kind of uh, dictate a lot dictate that but even still there were some damn good matchups that i remember looking at the rating numbers and going there's no way the numbers should have been this close yeah but they were you know this is the only thing like you said in that genre that's come close yeah and it's definitely proven time in and time out that it can definitely hang with the best of the tv shows you've yeah. seen. 
I mean, Chris, you went up with the Oscars and still pulled off series high ratings. You know, but the Oscars are not exactly like the Oscars of old. No, they're not. But even still, they for the Oscars to pull the numbers they did, and I read it was like thir- eight, like thirteen or eighteen percent up from last yeah, year. Yeah, no, they definitely were up, and rightfully so. The, the numbers were up. You know, even still, like. Award season for a lot of networks is typically a we're not going to air anything. Like I know there was one net, there was one channel that was airing Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of channels will just air a movie they have the broadcast rights to and call it a day. Yeah, they'll they'll air reruns. Nothing new will air just because the awards show is on and they're like, yeah, most people are most households are going to be devoted to that. Mm-hmm. So the fact that HBO wasn't afraid to put this up against it and it still drew series high ratings is astounding. No, it's absolutely astounding. So that said, let us talk about the season one finale. As we know, season two is in the works. Uh, it's going to be a while till we see this show again. So right. let's see how it fared on the way out. Let us talk about a spoiler-free statement for look at the light or look for the light rather. So, Pad, talk to me. I thought it was a good episode. You know, lacked a little bit of the punch I was expecting. You know, I was expecting kind of more of a punch, but I thought it was still a good episode overall. I thought this episode really demonstrated about how flawed one character was. Oh, yeah. And I think it really put into perspective that not everything here is so night and day, that there is a question of what would you do? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, this caused a good debate. Right. That you have to consider the one character's actions and how this plays moving forward. But I thought for what it was meaning to do Uh and what it meant to do, I thought it hit the mark. Yeah. Because going into next season, you wanted to leave on a very big exclamation point mic drop moment. Mm -hmm. And I felt the show did. Yeah. And it definitely had people talking online after. Oh, oh, yeah. We've interacted with many people about this. Hashtag ODPHpod. And we have had some great conversations about the thoughts of this. And now going into next season, I think there's a little more hesitation of what's coming. Sure. Because you know what, if you play the video games and you're starting to hear more about the video games, Mm -hmm. you do know about certain things that could possibly happen. Oh, yeah. It's not to say that it will. It all depends on what the writing team wants to do about it. But they've just been very faithful to the adaptation in the past. Yeah. And Neil Druckmann, who is uh, the game's writer, yep. has been hand on hand in hand with the writers. Yeah. So he has definitely made sure that everything has made sense to the game and what has made it such a big hit. But I thought for the acting in this, I mean, Ramsey and Pascal kill it again. Oh, God, yeah. They do such a phenomenal job, and they really change the dynamic before closing out mm-hmm. on season one. Mm-hmm. So that said, let's get into spoiler talk. You know the deal by now. Three, two, one, pad. Look for the light. What you think? <laughs> Thought it was a really good episode. You know, I like the action. I like the acting. And the story was great, you know. And the little personal moments between Joel and Ellie were awesome. But just, I, you know, that ending, like, it was a punch. Like, mm-hmm. and holy, you know, wow. Like, oh, my gosh. But it just felt like I was expecting a little bit more of a punch, you know. Wasn't necessarily expecting an, oh, my God, are they alive? Are they dead? You know, cliffhanger ending. But just, you know, didn't feel like it didn't feel like quite the punch I was expecting. But it was still good. I thought it was interesting seeing what Joel did. Yeah. 
And I remember sitting watching this for the first time and going, oh, man, I would not have done that. Yeah, he's a bit of a hypocrite. Yeah, I, I'm like, oh, did you just become the villain? But at the same time, I'm thinking, yeah, I can see where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And it's a great debate. You know, it's one that's been going on since the game first came out. Yeah. And for what he does, it's a real question of would you do th- this in your case? Mm-hmm. And I think everybody has a different reaction. And you know what? There's no right or wrong answer. Right. It's it's one of those interesting things where, like, I think the Walking Dead Telltale game is very interesting. Where yes. It comes, where it comes into, like, you have these horrible moral choices to make. And whichever way you go, <laughs> I like how at the end they give you that percentage. Yeah. Of, like, you know, 50% or, well, like, 37% chose this this way. The other percentage chose the other way. You know, it'd be interesting to see if you could take this choice kind of like that in that in the in the game of like, do you go this way? Do you go that way? And then see the percentage of like how people would do it. Well, I think it's great for an online poll. Yeah. And maybe we'll run one next Sunday. Sure. You know, if if I remember to do this and obviously we'll get up about this on the socials, we might have to do this because it'll be no last of us this week. This is true. Coming up. So it's a great question. If you were Joel, what would you have done? But we'll get to that as we're going through the episode. Because where this kicks off for Look for the Light, I keep on wanting to say Look at the Light because mm-hmm. Look at the Flowers from yeah. Walking Dead. So yeah. I, I apologize if I keep doing the Freudian slip there. We go back to where Ellie's mother mm-hmm. is giving birth. Yeah, played by Ashley Johnson, who, fun fact, was the waitress in The Avengers. Yes. Uh, but also played Ellie in the video game. Yeah, so that was a very cool Easter egg yeah. they put in there. You know, a very yeah. cool moment for her, obviously. And I like how they've incorporated every voice actor from the show, or from the video game, into the show. I, I, some characters we haven't met yet. Yes. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I agree with you, too. So at this moment, we do see how Anna, Ellie's mother, mm-hmm. is infected by one of the clickers. Well, she's on her own, and she's running through this forest at the start, and she's very heavily pregnant. Mm -hmm. And there's these clickers chasing after her, and it looks like this Midwestern, you know, Kansas, Oklahoma, somewhere in that that neck of the woods. You know, and she gets into this big old house in the middle of the the field, and she bars the door, and then she's like deep breathing because, hey, she's like eight, nine months pregnant. You know, the the baby's going to come at any moment. And she hears the clickers coming closer, and then she goes up into the upstairs bedroom, and she bars that door, and you hear him start breaking through the first door, and she starts getting ready to give birth because she reaches down, and her water broke. Yeah. It's a wild scenario to see happen. Yeah. So as she's fighting off the clicker, she now is going into labor. Uh Uh-huh. And... During this time, she's found by a familiar face that we have seen previously on the Mm -hmm. show. And that is Marlene. Yeah. So being the head of the Fireflies, Marlene has always played a big role in this show. And yeah. Merle Dandridge, who plays her, definitely raised this episode up completely, too. With Gotta her admit, I forgot about her, and I thought it was Tess for like a solid 10 minutes. No, like <laughs> I, I, the minute I saw her, I'm like, oh, oh, this ties everything back together. I but, thought it was Tess for the longest time, and I'm like, what the, f- you know, what the, what the fuck? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And then I'm like, oh, wait, it's Marlene. Yeah, because we haven't seen Marlene since episode one. Yeah, so I love how they brought it back and explained 
why Ellie is so important. And we do get one of the biggest answers that we've been all kind of waiting to find out. And that is, why is Ellie immune to the fungus? Yeah, so while her mom, Anna, is fighting off the zombie, the clicker, she eventually kills it. And then she turns to find out, hey, while you're giving, uh, we're fighting with this thing, you gave birth, the baby's here. Mm -hmm. And she looks down and realizes her leg is bit. And, she, and not knowing how the infection is going to go or whether it's going to take effect or not, she immediately cuts the umbilical cord so that it won't pass from uh, the mother to Ellie. So the the theory, they've it's been a fan theory for a while, is that even I fully don't understand how it works, and I've read it several times, is something to do with because her mom was bit, some of the information or like her body tricks the infection into thinking she's the infection. Or something like that? It's when the cells are forming, to kind of put a unofficial doctor spin on this, it's essentially when the cells are forming and getting its information, it's tricked into thinking that it's still in the one body. Right. It's not in the second one. Okay. So that is the very, very plain version of it's that. Because like, they showed it, but they didn't explain it, and I still don't understand how the fuck it works. Yeah. It's a it's a weird thing about it, but it's more or less saying that yeah the cells are there but they're tricked into not thinking that it's infected her, mm. but it's still like a dormant agent in her. Right. But when she's bit, it's not infecting because well she's already been infected. It's a crazy scenario to really break down, mm-hmm. but it's very scientific. But it makes sense though, and like I say, it's a little bit crazy to figure out about right. how this goes, and. It's like I say, it's very high level thinking about yeah. this. But so yeah, you need a PhD for it. Kind of, but that's the easiest way I can describe it. It's just okay. when the cells are forming, it's basically a genetic thing that it covers up that okay. she has it in her. So thus, when if she's bit again, well, they're not going to infect because they already know that the virus is in her. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of it's a it's a crazy way to <laughs> break it down. But that's the easiest way I can do it. I'm sure other people can do it a lot more technically. We'll just go with it from there. So then we jump back into, or no, actually, I'm sorry. Well, this is this is when uh, so Marlene shows up and and they go to the house and they realize something's happened because the doors open. Mm-hmm. They go into the house and they start going around, kind of like a you see a SWAT team or something doing the movies where like they're going room to room, clearing the room, and they go upstairs and that's where they discover Anna and they see her slumped up against the wall. Almost looks passed out, and then there's the body of the clicker next to her, and they realize, and they see what's happened. And Anna convinces Marlene to take Ellie to Boston. Yep. She's like, you need to take her to Boston, and and uh, Marlene doesn't want to do it because, as we find out, they've been friends for as long as they can remember since childhood. Mm-hmm. So 20, 30 years, however long it is. Yeah. You know, so... Hey, you need to take Ellie and and take her to Boston. This that like no, you're a fighter. You're gonna make it through. So she's like, no, no, I'm not. You you need to kill me. And Marlene flat out refuses. Right. She's like, no, I'm not doing it. She's like, no, you need to do it. So she does end up taking Ellie and walking out of the room, leaving Anna screaming, Marlene, no, you like you need to do this. And at some point, as she's about to go down the stairs, Marlene makes up the decision. You know what? I have to do this. Yeah. And she doesn't hesitate. She walks back in the room, confident stride as ever, pull, points the gun at her and immediately pulls the trigger, doesn't even wait. 
Yeah, I mean, Dandridge's acting in this was top notch. Like I yeah. said, just this whole scene was very powerful for what it needed to be because you really see the toll that this has taken on yeah. on her that she yeah. has to go kill her best friend and realizes that the child might be the the cure to everything. Yeah, maybe, but maybe. at the time she doesn't know. She There's just goes, no. "There's a baby that has now lost her mother and now needs somebody to watch over her." Mm-hmm. So it's a it's like I say, it's a very powerful scene. And then from there, it jumps in to present day. Yep. And this is where Joel and Ellie, obviously coming off the heels of their encounter with the cult, uh-huh. uh huh, are kind of confiding in each other a little bit about yeah. what what has gone on and what they've been through. And, and Joel breaks down too uh-huh. and really makes the connection, you know, to Ellie about like how much she means. And then also breaks down about when he lost his daughter, mm-hmm. he tried killing himself. He finally he finally tells her about his daughter, you know, and, and he tells her the truth of how he got the scar, mm-hmm. the scar he has. And no, it wasn't because somebody shot at me and missed, and it's because I tried to shoot myself yeah. and I missed. Yeah. It's, like I say, it was a very emotional scene. And like I say, Pedro Pascal's acting through this, this entire episode yeah. and season yeah. has been nothing short of phenomenal. And like I say, this whole scene was a very emotional one and one that definitely connects with the audience watching at home. That just what he's gone through and just seeing how the progression of his character mm-hmm. since we saw him from episode one to now. Oh, so, yeah, especially like we, episode one where he's got his daughter, he's happy, he's living life. You know, and then shit hits the fan. He loses his daughter to all of a sudden he's on it. 20 years later, he's on his own in Boston just trying to make ends meet. He gets thrown into a situation he wants no part of with a girl he knows absolutely nothing about. And he just views this as a mission. He just he views it as a job. Yeah. You know, hey, I, I got a job to do. I'm going to finish it and then I'm going to go home to where he's like, I can't live without you. Yeah. They've made that connection now that they both need each other to survive. So as they're making their way through the town, Salt Lake City, as it is. As it appears, yeah, because there was a highway sign that pointed off an exit to Salt Lake City. And they're in a fairly big city, so I'm going to go with it, Salt Lake. Yeah, they're talking about heading back to Wyoming. Yeah, well, Joel's trying to convince her to go back to Wyoming with his brother. Like, hey, you know, we don't have to do this. We don't have to go through with this. We can just go back to Wyoming and live our lives. And and Ellie goes, no, we need to do this. We need to finish the job. Yes. But as they're heading to Salt Lake city, cause that is where the fireflies are based. Yeah. They get attacked. Well, so they get attacked, but it's after they they run into a uh, giraffe. Yeah, is, this, yeah. This was a wild moment, Pat. Break it down for us. Yeah, so they they're going through a building and they're climbing they're climbing their way up, and Ellie sees something, mm-hmm. and we never see what it is. At least I didn't see what it was. You know, she starts tearing off through this building, going hot, through this building, going parking garage. I think is what it was, mm-hmm. going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And he's running after her, and this is a horrible idea because we're in an unfamiliar spot. We don't know who's here. We don't know who could be hunting us, this, that, and the other. And come, they come to find there's a giraffe yeah. fucking roaming downtown Salt Lake City. And I thought, oh, that looks like a – it kind of looked like a CGI giraffe to me. Come to find out, no, real-life giraffe. Yeah, it was real. That was a real giraffe. Holy hell, kind of awesome. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a very unique moment. Yeah. Because after all the trauma that they've gone through, yeah. it's almost like a, a peaceful, happy moment. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a weird thing because anytime you see anybody having happiness in the uh, zombie slash fungus apocalypse. <laughs> Doesn't last long. You know it's short-lived. 
And it is in this case because as they're making their way through, they are yeah. attacked. Yeah. And you see him get taken out. It's like a bomb or something, or like a flashback yeah, or something. Like, yeah, almost like, uh, like a concussion grenade. Yeah, somebody is heavily armed and yeah. fires that at him, disorients them. They wind yep. up getting knocked out and yep. taken away. Yep. And you see that Joel wakes up in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, when he wakes up, the first person he sees is Marlene. Yeah. And she's like, congratulations, you've now accomplished the mission. You finished the mission. You did what you needed to. And he's immediately screaming, where's Ellie? Yeah, because she's not in the room. And Marlene lets it slip. Yeah, well, she deliberately tells him, I think. Well, yeah, but I I don't think she was expecting the reaction. No, probably not. So, like I say, she kind of lets it slip that she's getting prepped for surgery. Well, what's the surgery? Yeah, and once the surgery talk happens, this is when you can tell at home the dynamic is switching in the room mm-hmm. because Marlene breaks down that Ellie is immune and we think we know why. Right. It's due that she, her cordyceps, mm-hmm. which the cordyceps are in the brain. Yes. That are in her brain. So we think that we can take the cordyceps out and give everybody a cure or, or concoct a, uh, vaccine or, yeah. or some sort of concoction to give to the world to hit, to make everybody immune. Yeah. So now the dilemma is hitting Joel right in the face. Right. Cause he realizes, Hey, they're about to do open brain surgery. This is going to kill her. Yeah. Ellie's going to die. So now you're left with the question that nobody is ready for. Right. And let alone you sit home as a viewer and you watch and go, what would you do? Mm-hmm. You made this connection with Ellie, mm-hmm. who reminds you very much of your daughter right. that is deceased. And you know that if she dies, the world is saved, but you still lose her. Can you go through this again? And that is the decision Joel has to decide upon. And it's all, it's a no-brainer to him. Right. Well, and he, and he even... What really sets him off, though, is... He asks Marlene, did you tell her what was going on before the surgery? Mm-hmm. And she says no. So she was never given the option of whether she wanted to go through with it or not. They just put her under and prepped her for surgery. Well, it's a situation from their point of view. Right. We've got one chance to save the world. we got one shot, one opportunity. You're going to make it or you're going to let it slip? Mm-hmm. That's the argument that they have. That, yeah, we understand she dies, but how many other people live? Right. It's a weird dilemma, but this is something that in these types of shows with that apocalyptic factor involved, you see not everything is so cut and dry. Right. There's a lot of gray area. And what somebody's decision they might want to do might not agree with somebody else. This is true. And that's where you have the conflict. And Joel is sitting there screaming, you can't do this. There's got to be another way. But Marlene is saying, no, there isn't. We have to get those course ups. If we don't, the world is going to fall. So that's why we're going to do what we're going to have to do. Soldiers take him away. And Joel is sitting there trying to fight back and go get Ellie, but it's, it's right. failing. So he's led down a hallway right. to a staircase. Right. And he and he keeps, every once in a little bit, he kind of like, Stops for a minute and, yeah. and thinks about it. And they're like, hey, jackass, keep moving. Mm-hmm. So when he's in the staircase at one point, though, 
he does get the upper hand. Must have seen Captain America. Good God. <laughs> he goes on a rampage like yeah. he's Frank Castle. Yeah. And he is killing everybody in that hospital. With marksman-like precision. Yeah, which we've always known he's had that skill. Because he's firing this. I don't know what gun he was using, but he was firing off single bullets, and he was getting one shot for one kill. Mm-hmm. Good God. Yeah, he was just destroying yeah. everybody in his path. I think you can count on one hand the number of times there was like more than one bullet coming out. Yeah. Other than that, it was like one shot. No, it was it was frightening. Yeah, Like it was. to say, like, this was yeah. not a moment that you're sitting at home like... yeah applauding you're you're sitting there in sheer like, holy fuck you're, yeah like in, in sheer horror to see like what he's doing and like you understand why though yeah but you may not agree with it but first you know people that go hey if that was my child i'd do the same thing oh yeah like it's a moral dilemma and i like how the writers brought that up but you you see the consequences from the actions mm-hmm. that now joel has gone on a full rampage yeah even going to the point of going into the operating room. Yeah, and killing the main doctor. Mm-hmm. Well, he goes, let her go. And the doctor refuses and goes, no, she can save the world and she can do X, Y, and Z. And he goes, let her go or I'll kill you. Yeah. And he goes, no. And he just shoots him right then and there. Yeah. And we've seen through the course of this season that Joel is somebody that when he's pushed to that limit, he's not afraid to cross that line. Right. But this is a line that, you have to wonder, can he come back from? Like, that's the problem that you yeah. now have. Yeah. Because once the Fireflies find out what has happened. Oh, they ain't going to be happy. No, that you've gone in there, you've killed people in a hospital. So it might be Fireflies, but he kicked a hornet's nest. Yeah. He now has to deal with that repercussions. Because mm-hmm. as he's now taking Ellie, who's unconscious, away from the hospital, Marlene right. confronts him. Right now, they have known each other for for some time as that we know has been portrayed. Well, and she's even astounded when she's kind of interrogating him in the hospital room with like some of his responses, and she looks at him and it kind of dawns on her, and she goes, "Oh, you've developed a connection with her." Yeah, that this was unplanned, but now here we are. Right, but Marlene is still screaming at him. There's still time. Right, realize what you're doing, and Joel kind of does a bluff. Yeah. And then shoots her. From underneath the blanket covering Ellie. Yeah. In a very dastardly move. Great, great, the great bit of cinematography for this, too. Yes. Because you don't see it initially, and you're like, holy, because I, the gunshot went off, I'm like, oh, holy shit, who is it? Yeah. Because he wasn't, he didn't make any move or any motion like he was shooting. So I'm like, oh, holy fuck, like, who is it? You know, who could be, is it his brother? Is it, you know, somebody else? And then the camera cuts to the gun barrel pointing out from underneath the blanket. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. It's a very intense scene. Yeah. Because then you just see that Marlene is sitting there bleeding and just looking at Joel like, what did you do? And then Joel fires another shot and goes. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very intense for what it is. Yeah. And it's very disturbing, too. Yeah. To see at what lengths he would do. But like I say, with talking with people online, you're left in a weird position at that moment if you're Joel. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to sacrifice somebody that you consider your daughter? Right. And you've connected with on this kind of level? Even though how many millions are going to die because of your connection? It's like I say, it's it's a, it's a an interesting debate, mm-hmm. but it's still frightening at the consequences no matter what. Right. Because... 
either Ellie dies. Yeah. And then how many people live, but you've now killed that person, you know. Right. And then in, in retrospect now, because you let her live. Right. How many more people are going to die because of this? Well, and Marlene even brings that up. I think while she's yeah pleading with him at the end or after she's been shot. I forget where. Yeah, it was after she was shot, I think. She's like, hey, listen, this is this is whatever it is. But, like, you realize she's always going to be in danger that like people are going to find out about her. They're going to be hunting after her and it's, you're not always going to be there. Yeah. You're going to grow old. You're going to die and you're going to not be there for her. And she's going to have to defend herself. Mm -hmm. Like you can't always be there. Right. But at the same time, Marlene doesn't know he's already done this with his first daughter. Right. And now he's treating Ellie like his daughter. So like I say, it's a very intense scene. It's not one that, Younger viewers should be watching. No, it, hell no. It's it's very like I say, intense is is the probably easiest word I can describe it as. Yeah, but it's very powerful too at the same time because you just see at what lengths Joel has now gone to over Ellie. Yeah, and when they leave the hospital, I mean, Joel is driving away. Mm-hmm. Ellie wakes up in the back seat of the the car that he's that he's driving. Well, I wouldn't say wakes up. She kind of starts to recover from the after effects of the yeah. anesthesia. Right. And she's going, hey, what happened? Did, did we get a cure? Yeah. And Joel flat out lies. Mm-hmm. He and, tells her no. Uh, turns out you weren't the only person they found that was immune from uh, the the virus that they found others. And they tried to make uh, an immunity, but it didn't work. No. So now they're heading back to Jackson, Wyoming, to where they think it's safe. And Ellie is doubting Joel mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what tipped her off that he was lying. I think they've been together long enough that she can tell. Maybe. But I just thought it was very interesting that Bella Ramsey's uh, picked up. Like I said, the acting she did for this scene, I thought was very cool. Well, especially you think about it. Like, she hasn't been coddled for her life. Mm-hmm. You know, like you might expect a kid to. That like, oh, little white lie. Oh, yeah, Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, like whatever else. Yeah. Like, she's had it rough her entire life. Like, no parents. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the military upbringing with, like, the military boarding school or whatever it was. Right. You know, having to travel and fight for her life at a very young age. And, like, it's hard to get anything past this girl and expect her to not pick up on a lie. Yeah. But, like I say, I thought they pulled this off very well. And you see that Joel just goes, I, I swear. Yeah. You know, this is the truth. And she goes, okay. Okay. And that's how it ends. Whew. That was an episode. Like I say, one that if you're not familiar with the video game, it probably caught you more off guard. Right. I think for everybody that's played the video game, there was a lot of like, we knew this was coming. Oh, yeah. That was the kind of vibe that was playing off this. But, Pat, I mean, final thoughts on the episode and season. Like I said, it was a great episode. Just a little bit more of a punch is what I was expecting. Still a great episode, though. Mm-hmm. You know, excited to see where they go for season two. And I know a lot of people were concerned that we'd only get one more season because there's only two video games. Don't worry. There's going to be multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading from an article on Variety.com. Uh, it says, quote, The Last of Us was officially renewed for a season, for a season two by HBO in January. But their creators are planning, quote, more than one season to tell much lar- to tell the much larger story from the video game sequel, The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, the article goes on to say, quote, when asked if season two would will include the entire Part Two story, Mason said, "No, no way." Druckmann added, "It's more than one season, uh, so we're going to get at least w- one more season right now. But there's going to be more than one after that." Well, it makes sense. 
I mean, the show is a hit. Yeah. So it's it's kind of difficult to say, hey, we're going to end things. Right. It, it's tough because this is the problem that you have when you come across pop culture. Yeah. Now, are they going to go Walking Dead and, and it'd be the never-ending story? <laughs> no. But I think that doing two seasons and if you split it up six and six maybe – I yeah, think I could, I, see I could see I could definitely see that unless they have an idea for a third video game. But like I say, I don't know how you do that. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's not a conversation for us. That's a conversation for the writing team, because you've now hit that threshold of pop culture where people are clamoring for more content. And when they come back and we don't have a timetable of exactly when I think it's going to be a year before we see them come back. This is going to play into how the show is going to be received. But if it's one thing we know, Mm -hmm. the show came in with a lot of hype from the video game audience. Oh, yeah. And when you attach Pedro Pascal, who is very high profile in Hollywood right now, you knew a lot of eyes were going to be on it. Bella Ramsey, people knew from Game of Thrones. So when you did that casting, you already had fan bases tuning in. They delivered on the first episode because they did not focus so much on the clickers they made it about the connections with those characters and their families and what they felt they were family by the time it was all said and done that's the driving point of the show like sure you can say it's like the fast and furious it's all about family family but it really is with this show that you have pedro pascal's joel who is willing to do anything and literally anything to protect who he perceives as his daughter ellie who is trying to find her way in this world by being the most hunted person on the planet Mm -hmm. because she could potentially end everything or we don't know. Yeah. She could be the next phase of this virus. We haven't even explored that aspect because one thing we know about viruses, they always mutate. It's a very interesting play that they do here, but it goes to show that the writers have really taken this into account They've really told compelling stories without making it too video game-ish, if I can use that terminology. Yeah. They've really focused on the characters, and this is why the show connects on that level. You need to go check the show out and definitely let us know what you thought about the season finale. I definitely want to have some more conversations about Look for the Light. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. What is your thoughts about season one of The Last of Us on HBO Max. And what did you think of the season finale? Look for the light. Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Have you ever found yourself confused about the current state of the MCU or whatever the hell is happening with the DC universe? Do you often have no idea what the hell the difference is between craft beer and that butt ice stuff at the gas station? Well, then look no further. We present to you Hops Geek News. We're yet another geek and beer podcast in an already oversaturated market. All right, all right. We drink and we pretend we know things. More often than not, we don't really know things, but we do talk some really great topics and we most definitely can drink. We'll deliver you news and then dive into any random topic you might have never knew you actually were passionate about. With lots of fun facts about beer. And from Marvel to DC and Star Wars, and to why Die Hard is most definitely a Christmas movie. Which it is. Basically anything that our spouses are sick of hearing us talk about. Join us on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. New episodes weekly. Just search Hops News. 
coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH pod. And we said at the beginning of the show, any one of these segments could have been the lead segment. This has been a stacked week of pop culture yeah. on the show. But we definitely can't end this show without talking about one of our favorite shows, Triumphant Return to the Airwaves. And that is what, Pad? That is Superman and Lois. Yes. The last show in the Arrowverse per se, if you will, the one that has reinvented the Man of Steel and brought it to a pop culture audience by taking it back to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow has returned finally with season three. Tyler Hoechlin, Elizabeth Tolick are playing the roles of Clark Kent and Lois Lane, respectively. Alex Garrifin is back as Jordan Kent, their son. And stepping into the role of Jonathan Kent is Michael Bishop. Mm-hmm. So the F- Metropolis's favorite family is now moved back to Smallville where they thought they were going to get away from the crazy world that involves the Man of Steel, but <laughs> <laughs> did not happen by any way, shape, or form. Yeah. In two seasons, they've had invaders from other dimensions and some allies come across the way via Gen- John Henry Irons, played by Wally Parks, and Natalie Irons, played by Taylor Buck. Mm-hmm. So coming off the heels of a season that made Bizarro yeah. into a tragic anti-hero kind by of. the time it was all said and done? I mean, he's always kind of been that way. It just depends on which version you're reading or watching. Right. They've really stepped the game up for where we're going this season because the first season tied into a brother that Kal-El had no idea about. Tied into family. Family. It's all about family. It always is with this show. And then we go into this season after Bizarro and things are... yeah. Two Earths. Two Earths, and now they're back to one. It's returning to normal. But is it really? Because we have to break down Superman and Lois. Season premiere for season three, entitled Closer. So, Pad, spoiler-free statement on it. I uh, thought it was a good episode. Interestingly, directed by some dude named Tom Cavanaugh. Oh, really? Yeah, which I did not realize until I was looking uh, at the stuff online. Uh, no, I thought it was a good episode. You know, interesting to see where they're going to go. Not quite sure who the the quote unquote villain was we saw towards the end of the episode. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about that. But I thought it was a good return. It was a solid episode. I really enjoyed this because we're going to be going back to Metropolis a little bit. A little bit. And it's nothing against Smallville. Superman's just so indelible with Metropolis. Right. But when you go back to Metropolis, you usually see a few names pop up in yeah. the Superman mythos. Yeah. One of which we do know is coming at some point, and that's Lex Luthor. Uh-huh. The other one is a lesser-known name, but still one that is impactful nevertheless. And that's who we see here at the end of the this, this show. But I thought for returning, it really captured the vibe that they've had from previous seasons. Yeah. And improved on certain areas. Some it did not, but I thought overall it was definitely a solid return. Excited to see where they go moving forward. That said, let's get into that spoiler talk pad. Three, two, one. What you think? Like I said, I thought it was a fun episode. It was kind of the same familiar vibe you're used to if you're, you watch the first two seasons. You know, introducing the story, introducing kind of the, some of the themes we're going to see for the season, but then also keeping the family aspect of things. Uh, I thought that, I got to scroll to the name because I haven't uh, memorized it yet. Uh, uh, 
Michael Bishop uh, playing Jonathan Kent did an absolutely phenomenal job stepping into the role. Agreed. You know, taking over the role of a character that's been established for two seasons already is not an easy thing to do, but I thought he did a great job and made it his own. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm excited to see where he goes going forward with things. You know, but overall, I'm interested to see how things go, and I think we could have some very interesting developments as the season goes on with some of the core family members. The fact that we're getting intergang... Yeah. I think is wild. And the character that you were not familiar with is Bruno Mannheim. No, I know who he is. That's Chad uh, Coleman. Yep. That's who he was playing. Oh, yeah. No, I, I know who Bruno Mannheim is. Uh, the gentleman that was with him in the room, though. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. That was, okay. So that makes a little more sense. Because I was going to say, Intergang has always been a noteworthy villain in yeah. the Superman's rogues gallery. I was like, made a couple of appearances in the animated series, if I remember correctly. Yes. But where they're going with this is really kind of a wild scenario. because oh, now that I see the comic picture, yeah, he was in animated series. Yeah. But it's kind of a wild scenario what they're doing here because where this series picks up, it's been literally just about a month. 27 days. They say it repeatedly. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I thought was very interesting, too. But I was like... It's like the Flash. Nine months. Yeah. Nine months. Oh. 27 days. But hopefully it's a lot better than this current season. I'm just going to say that outright. But... Nevertheless, it's 27 days since they defeated the threats from Earth 2. Or yeah, they give the a other... nice little summary of what happened. Yeah, they give a nice summary. And we get back into the swing of things mm-hmm. with the Kent family. Yep. Jordan is now learning how to use his powers. They yep. have a new Fortress of Solitude yep. that Clark has set up at the end of last season. Yep. And you're seeing that they're having a bonding moment because Jordan is now really taking the time to learn to control his powers. And he's able to use them uh, a little more controlled. Yeah. It's not so erratic. It, yeah, he's definitely not so wild with them. Yeah. But he's they have a very cool scene where they're flying to the fortress, yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. Jordan's talking a little trash to his dad. And yeah, his dad trips him up. His dad is not here in this one bit. So he trips him up a little bit. He goes flying into the ocean, and then he has to come in. He has to face the atomic skull on the... Yeah. Uh, hologram projector yeah for sparring reasons so yeah. like it, it's kind of it's a cool moment to see that they're training Jordan. after he comes in sopping wet and he looks at his dad and he goes you know i start gotta start wearing a wetsuit when we fly here and his dad just looks at him and goes yeah we can make that happen yeah so meanwhile back in smallville there's a bunch of different stories going on one of which is sam lane lois's dad yeah. played by dylan walsh yeah has rejoined the DOD after retiring. Yeah, so much for that retirement. Yeah, which, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, you got to keep him around story-wise. Yeah, because otherwise, like, unless he was planning on leaving the show, like, I don't understand. Right, you can't just keep having him show up repeatedly throughout the show's history of, like, oh, hey, we need your help again. Oh, shucks, we need you again. Like, just have him rejoin. Yeah, so it makes sense, and I like how they had him connected with the Irons family. Yeah. So like we said, Wooly Parks is back playing John Henry Irons. Taylor Buck is playing his daughter, Natalie. And you see that Sam Lane is trying to befriend Natalie, who's really struggling to connect. Obviously, we saw her make her appearance from the alternate timeline at the end of season one. And she still has taken a little time getting used to being on this earth. And obviously, knowing the back history that her mom was Lois Lane. Yeah. So technically, Sam is her grandfather. It's a little awkward in that sense, but they're trying to make that connection. And you see that Sam is really trying to make 
you know, a real effort about connecting with yeah. his granddaughter yeah. and says, you know, we can go to the movies and, you know, really have yeah. a bonding experience. And she is very excited about She's this. She's like, oh, I would love that. Yeah. And then it turns out that, no, he was just doing it to recruit her for the DOD. Well, and she first picks up on it because they're going to see like this sci-fi horror movie, Slaughterhouse 3 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. And she's breaking down the movie, and she's starting to pick up that like he has no idea what the movie's about. And she drops this like tidbit of information about the movie, and he goes, "Oh yeah, I can't believe that would happen." And it's like probably like some character that had died like in one of the previous movies. Mm. And she's like, "You've never seen any of these movies, have you?" He's like, "Nope." And and that's when he reveals, "Oh no, I'm not here for the movie. I'm here to recruit you." Yeah, so it's kind of an awkward scenario that's playing out there, but it's one that. We'll have to keep an eye on moving forward because with Sam Lane back, his job at the DOD is basically defending the Earth from Superman and anything that comes with it. Yeah. So it does make for an awkward moment moving forward, but it's something that at least I love the fact they're giving the Irons family a real storyline. Oh, I do too. Because I know that I think they've had so much potential to really break out, and I think this is the perfect way to do it. So I'm super excited to see how this goes. And really play off the other family members, too. Because with the Kents, Jonathan had a really, I don't want to say subdued mm-hmm. episode this season yeah. for, the, for the premiere. But the only thing it was really kind of focusing is it was him and Jordan's birthday. He was trying to get his driver's license. So there was yeah. some kind of awkward moments going on because he still doesn't have superpowers yet. Yeah. Yet. Although we got to say... Uh, Boy, hell of a driver's test getting it from your former football coach. Yes, because Jordan was or Jonathan was kicked off the team for uh, illegal steroids, to put it mildly. I mean, essentially. I mean, you know, it, it was what it was. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So, like I say, he didn't really have that big of a party or a moment other than the party, too. Yeah. But they did give Jordan a little bit of time, too, there as well. And they did go back and tease the romance with Sarah as yeah, well. Yeah, on again, off again, y- off again. Yeah, which I have to say, like, I understand why they do it. it, is, it I think at this point it's like, can we, to just commit or don't. Yeah, just like this stop. Is, this is Smallville Syndrome. This is, you know, six seasons of Juan and Clark to get together with Lana where even the showrunners have admitted now, like, yeah, we drag that out way too long. Yeah, it's just it's way too much. Yeah, you know, just Get them together or split them apart, please. Yeah, like there's no point to just have yeah. this going because I'm sorry, like I didn't feel that invested about it to the stage. Of, I was for a season. Yeah, like for a season, we're, sure. We're three seasons in now, though. Yeah, I mean that's the one downside about this is just kind of like, okay, what are we doing here? I'll say Peter Parker and Mary Jane. This ain't. Yeah, that's that's the biggest deal with this too. So. They have to figure out a way to just move on from this or whatever you're going to do for it. I'm sorry. like it They just, still want to be friends, but they don't want to be together. Yeah, mm. it just got... Uh, it, it don't work that way. No, it just got annoying, to be honest with you. But, like I say, we, we've gone down this before, so hopefully they kind of clean up as the season moves forward. However, though, we do see that Lana Lang, uh, played once again by Emmanuel Kirky, uh, is now getting used to the mayoral role mm-hmm. of Smallville. Doing and, well. Yeah, doing well because she's trying to clean up something going on at Smallville yeah. uh, High School, which we're dealing with more of the past with the former mayor, yeah, and there's a lot yeah, of weird stuff. Shit ton of black mold in the high school. Yeah, so you see the former mayor, George Dean, is sitting there arguing about it, and she's and Lana is such a good person. She's like, no, we're, we're going to deal with this. I know what you did with your fun, so we're going to have to really kind of make something happen here to yeah. clean this up. 
So I like how they're building up for that story. So everybody had one. However, though, Lana's divorce from her husband. Oh, boy. Got more messy. Talk about a dark cloud. This season. I mean, Kyle Cushing, uh, who's played by Eric Valdez, uh, he just can't stay out of his own way. Nope. He finds ways to do this. And after the boy's birthday party, he winds up hooking up with Chrissy Bipop, um, or Bipo, I'm sorry, from the Smallville paper. Yeah, which, I mean, as soon as she showed up and she started talking, I kind of saw this coming. You, you saw it coming. You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with no. this either. Like I say, I, I was kind of telegraphed. I like how she's getting more uh, involved in the show. Yeah. Because I, I think her, her character is very interesting. Underutilized, too. Very much so. And like I say, with this now playing out, I think there's a lot that you can do with her character and uh, Sophia Hamzik, who plays her. Uh, I think she does an amazing job. The one thing that threw me off, though, with her, yeah, I forgot she realized that Clark was Superman. Well, I think they they, they briefly they mentioned it in the little recap, like at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, but yeah. you know, when, like when I saw it, like I'll I forgot. If you blink and miss that moment, yeah, I can understand. That. Yeah, because I remember last season she figured it out, and, right. and now is very understanding when he takes off yeah. for Metropolis. Yeah. So I thought that their storyline that's going to be very interesting, and like I say, I love seeing her more involved in the show, but. This show is called Superman and Lois for a reason because they're the ones that are really stirring everything up here. You do see that Lois, obviously after last season, was tipped off about the true John Henry Irons. At some point, yeah, off screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now she's been going out of her way to investigate mm-hmm. what happened to this world's John Henry Irons. Yep. And has now put her in direct line with people connected to Bruno Mannheim. Mm-hmm. So we do see that she winds up having a doctor's visit with John Henry Irons' sister, yeah, uh, played by Angel Parker. And you do see that it comes up in that conversation that this world's John Henry Irons was involved in some things he probably should not have been. Yeah. Making weapons for inner gang. Yeah. And it's kind of dismayed a little bit. By the doctor saying, Lois, you might be pregnant. Right. Well, and, and even the whole conversation starts with a not-so-friendly uh, demeanor because clearly, you know, because Lois even brings up earlier in the episode, like, they've tried to pin a ton of stuff on Bruno Mannheim before, but it's never stuck. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Dr. Irons opens the door and sees Lois, she's like, oh, God damn it, you again? Yeah. So it's definitely a storyline to keep an eye moving forward because for Superman... He's now brought into the intergang world as well, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Because obviously keeping an ear out for the dangers in the world. Yeah. He's brought into one where he sees Jordan is trying to stop an uh skyscraper from breaking in Manila or someplace like yeah. that. Somewhere in the, like the South Pacific, yeah. Yeah. So he has to break away to do that. Yeah. And it doesn't go the way he he's saying. So he's still saying he's trying to sell Jordan. He needs to well, stay out of the business and and learn the craft. Well, because it was it was kind of hard to tell just because it was raining and it was dark and this and that. But like it looked like the crane was falling over, and it looked like Jordan was trying to like heat vision off a part of it. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's just the inexperience that he has. Yeah, like that's the problem that he's trying to do too much. And it's not working. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest situation that he's going to have to struggle against. So you do see this play out later because when Clark has to go to Metropolis and really take on a threat, Jordan hears about this and doesn't get involved. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a weird scenario that plays out here. And Sarah can tell something's bugging him. Yeah, because 
Superman takes off from Metropolis. Yeah. He runs into somebody he hasn't seen in a little while. Yeah, Henry Miller, a.k.a. Adam Man. Yeah, who's in a suit. Almost looked like something out of Bioshock, to be honest with you. Bio- Bioshock, I was also thinking uh, a little bit of the Firestorm suit. Mm-hmm. A little well, bit. A little bit. A little bit. But he's super powered, and Clark is going, where did you get your powers what from? What the fuck happened? Yeah. So they get into this fantastic action sequence. Knockdown dragout fight. Yeah. Bridges destroyed. Buildings toppled. Yeah. It's a wild scene to see play out. But this, we, one thing we always say is with the show, you're almost guaranteed to have a great action sequence and yeah. special effects. Yeah. So when you see this play out, this makes for a very, very cool moment amongst the show. And you're seeing them just tear right through. Mm-hmm. Metropolis. They're they're breaking buildings. They're they're destroying everything in sight. It's a really interesting visual to see play out. So once you see this go, mm-hmm. you see that Clark eventually winds up stopping him. Yeah. But there's a villain that shows up that you didn't recognize. Well, so he stops him and then he he drops dead. And it's almost like he got shot. Mm-hmm. And he goes looking around, and instantly the X-ray vision kicks in. And my God, I don't remember the X-ray vision being like this before in this show. But, like, it's not an instantaneous. It clicks on. It kind of just kind of, like, slowly turns on, and it bridges. I love the special effects they did for this X-ray vision. Mm. And he's looking around. He doesn't see anything. And he looks at the body, and he goes, wait a minute. There's no bullet holes. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy scenario to see play out. Right. And I actually had to do some web searching about this. Okay. This is a villain I was not expecting to see, and I have not seen this one in quite some time. Pad, I know you are not familiar with Onomatopoeia, but this is a character that was around during Kevin Smith's run on Green Arrow way back when. Okay. So this is kind of an uh, interesting story to see that character appear here. Mm Mm-hmm. So this is something the show does, and I think they do it very well. They take very obscure or one character characters you just don't think would be right. in the mix here. Right. And then sure enough, they find a way to make it work. And seeing that character show up now with Inner Gang, that's going to be an yeah. interesting dynamic to yeah. say the least. And it's one that Superman is definitely going to have a struggle with against. And seeing how this all shapes up, I mean, this is just crazy to see just ultimately factor in. Right. Because when you have shows that are willing to take a shot and do the obscure villains, and like I say, this is one that is just as obscure as possible. That, that's, that's probably real deep in the obscurity. Yeah. But we have seen this character appear a few times uh, you know, over the years, but nothing really that you go like, whoa. Well, say so never a main feature for like a Justice League. Ball. Yeah. But like I say, I always know it from the Kevin Smith run on Green Arrow that was back in the early 2000s. Seeing this character show up through Superman for a loop and really caused some problems with him. Yeah. And you see that he's now understanding that there's a new threat in Metropolis. That well, yeah, because he starts hearing all these voices freaking out and all these people freaking out. So he flies up to the sky, looks around, realizes there's nothing going on. The voices stop. He lands and the body and the figure are gone. Yes. So... Once he comes to, obviously, you know, something weird has happened and starts heading back to Smallville to regroup. All the while, you see that Henry Miller has been taken underground Mm -hmm. and is getting experimented on. Mm -hmm. 
And Pad, who is the one overseeing these experiments? Uh, that would be Chad L. Coleman, a.k.a. Bruno Mannheim. Yeah, so they're now toying with reanimation. Like I say, because this dude's dead. He's got, you know, the EKG machine or whatever it is hooked up to him. Uh, Flatline, mm-hmm. all three lines. Dead as a doornail. Yeah. And they're like, hey, let's, hey, listen, we can't do anything here. This ain't going to work. You know, and, and they eventually do end up resurrecting the dead. Yeah, it was a crazy scene to, to close out with. So... I don't know what the end game is going to be here. I really don't. I mean, I'm almost afraid you can bring people back from the dead. Yikes. Well, you have to think about how many characters they could really play around with. Sure. I don't necessarily know if they would do this with Superman's brother. Well, they can't. Because he's on a different dimension. He's, he's, that, and that gets brought up because when uh, Clark and Lois a couple times go to his villa in like Spain or wherever the mm. fuck it is. You know, at one point, they're like, oh, hey, we really got to thank your brother for letting us use his villa. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, that's kind of hard seeing as he's on Bizarro World. Yeah, so it's a situation that they can't really uh, bring him back, but yet they could. I mean, it's a television show, so obviously they can pull something I mean, it's, almost, it's almost a case of, like, you can't stop anybody because even if you manage to kill them, you know, they'll just bring him back. Yeah, and you almost have to wonder if they would try doing this with the John Henry Irons of this world. Ooh. Like, that's a, that's the possibilities they're going to open up. But with them making moves in Metropolis, you know that's going to bring the attention of one Lex Luthor. Oh, yeah. Now, how they ultimately face off with each other is still yet to be told. Still did not, uh, did not see him this episode. No, you no, we didn't. And I don't think we're going to see him for a little bit, to be honest with you. Probably not. Which is fine. If they want to try splitting this up and give half the season to Inner Gang and then the other half to Luthor, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we know uh, Michael Cutslitz is playing Lex Luthor. It's already mm-hmm. been announced, so that's not a big you know reve- or spoiler for anybody. Right, right. But how they want to set this up is anybody's guess. But yeah. I thought overall everybody had a good story to yeah. uh, tie off with this season. I know Lois is, is dealing with both the investigation, and then it was debunked about the pregnancy, and uh-huh. she still has to get more tests done, which I still think there's something fishy going on with the, uh, the Dr. Irons. Well, there could be, and I'm also concerned with what is going on. Because she goes, hey, turns out you weren't pregnant, which really bummed out the cats because, you know, as old as the boys are getting, they were kind of longing for another young one in the house again. Mm-hmm. You know, but the fact like, oh, hey, there's something going on. We're not quite sure what it is. We want to do more testing. Yeah, that can't be good. No, it can't. But I almost wonder, because she was there, if it was something she tipped off Bruno Mannheim. Yeah, that could be. And they're going to do something kind of weird there. Like, that's my early prediction about that. But like I say, everybody else had a had a, a moment to shine in the show, and like I said, the Kyle Chrissy thing was very interesting. It got even more awkward when Lana came by with divorce papers. Yeah, but it goes to show like the the writers on the show really take the time to dive into everybody on here, and everybody has a storyline going on. Some we like more than others. We're not gonna lie about that. Yeah, but. Overall, I thought they came back with a really strong debut, and I'm I'm really intrigued yeah. by where we're going after this. Yeah. What about you, Pat? No, I'm super intrigued, too, to see where things go, just because there's a lot of storylines, more so than normal, that I'm like, ooh, I'm, I really want to see where this is going. I'm super excited for next week's episode because I'm looking at the director list for this next week's episode titled Uncontrollable Forces. Uh, some woman by the name of Elizabeth Henstridge. Oh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., let's go. Yeah, getting a little fun connection there. Yeah. I'm definitely excited to see uh, one half of Fitz, uh, Fitzsimmons back. Yeah. So definitely have to stay tuned for that. And 
If I'm going to be watching anything on the CW, this is the show I'm going to be watching. <laughs> we will get into that next segment, trust me. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the return of Superman and Lois on the CW? Did you watch it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? You know we talk about that show each and every time, so let's do it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Alan Dunford here from Top Hat Studios, co-writer and co-creator of Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw, and you guys are listening to the ODPH Podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got two things to talk about. Uh, the first of which was some news announced today, and that is, well, you news we all figured would come, and that is James Gunn is going to direct the upcoming Superman movie, Legacy. Uh, reading from an article on HollywoodReporter.com, it says, quote, James Gunn is officially making Superman Legacy his next directorial vehicle. Gunn has been writing the feature since before he became the co-head of DC Studios in November, and it was widely expected he would direct. Though it is, it was unclear he, if he would, given, he would, given his duties overseeing the expanding DC slate with partner Peter Safran. Superman Legacy will be the first big screen feature for the Gunn-Safran era. Warner Brothers has the project dated for July 11th, 2025 quote. It focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing. He is the embodiment of truth, justice in the American way. He is kind. He is kindness in a world that thinks that kindness is old fashioned. Safran told reporters in late January Uh, on Wednesday, Gunn explained that he hesitated to take on a Superman movie, even though he was offered the character before ultimately taking on the suicide squad for Warner's quote. I initially said no because I didn't have a way in that felt unique hmm. and fun and emotional and that uh, that gave Superman the dignity he deserved, Gunn wrote on Twitter. Then, a bit less than a year ago, I saw a way in. In many ways, centering around Superman's heritage, how both his aristocratic Kryptonian parents and his Kansas farmer parents inform who he is and the choices he makes, close quote. Even after deciding to write, he was hesitant to direct, explained the filmmaker. Just because I want I write something doesn't mean I feel it in my bones visually and emotionally enough to spend over two years directing it, especially not something of this magnitude. But the long and the short of it is I love this script and I'm incredibly excited as we begin this journey. Close quote. Well, really a no brainer, to be yeah. honest with you. And I think for anybody that was curious if he was going to not have his stamp on this i think this definitely proves he's fully invested and this is going to be his vision of what he wants to see at the the dc studios moving forward Mm -hmm. i love the idea he's doing this um i i know there's a lot of like you know fear about this because obviously it's younger superman we don't know where we're gonna get blah 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 right Listen, Gunn understands the temp in the room Mm -hmm. and he's the face of the studio now He's going to put his stamp of approval on here. Mm-hmm. There's no question about this. I think it's a great move. I'm super excited to see what he's going to do for the project. Right. And I don't think he's going to miss. I think that if there's going to be one movie that's going to hit out of the, um, I, I call the Dawn of DC Studios. Right. This is going to be the one to do it. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then switching over to some anime news, uh, the final episodes of Ash and Pokemon are airing over in Japan. However, they haven't hit the States quite yet, but of course, being the internet, it's hitting the airwaves. Uh, and one of the features of Pokemon that has been there since literally episode like two or three mm-hmm. uh, has been Team Rocket. And no, I'm not talking the group from the games. I'm talking about the 
trio of miscreants known as Jesse, James, and their Pokemon partner, Meowth, hmm. who have been literally trying to catch Pikachu for 25 years. You know, it's it's funny if you go back and watch the original series, which here in the States, I know it's on uh, Netflix overseas. You'll have to check your own streaming services. Uh, but it's it's funny to go watch those first few episodes, especially when Team Rocket first gets introduced, because they're treated as so serious and such a villainous threat. And, and to the point where they become, like, the comedic joke and, like, okay, we know they're never going to actually capture Pikachu. Right. You know, the fact that they've tried for 25 years and they've almost come close, you know, a bunch of times, but never actually quite closed the deal. But it was wondered with uh, Pokemon ending Ash's journey, what's going to happen with Team Rocket? Are they going to move on? Are they going to go off into the sunset? Is it going to be one last chase and then, you know, that's it? Well, we kind of got the answer because the episode has aired uh, and Team Rocket kind of goes off in their own uh, directions. Uh, so, according to a description from Nerdist.com, uh, they do make one valiant effort to capture Pikachu for the last time, using a lot of the former Pokemon they've used over the years. Uh, of course, hey, it's Team Rocket. They've been trying for 25 years. They're owing God knows what number. <laughs> right, right. You know, they're, they're winless. They fail. Uh, you know, they, they blast off again for one final time. Uh, they land, come to... And they go, and there's a shot floating around on Twitter where they, uh, it's uh, Jesse, James, and Meowth all standing, uh, walking away from each other with their Pokemon, looking from over the years, looking uh, up at them and on the screen. So Team Rocket, it appears, will not be making, Jesse, James, and Meowth, it appears, will not be making an appearance in whatever comes later down the road from the Pokemon anime franchise because, well, they've decided to split off and go their own separate ways. Hmm. Which which is kind of wild to think of. I, I didn't know what they were going to do with the characters. You know, I didn't think they'd bring them back. Yeah. You know, just because you've, you've they've been chasing one character for so long and for t- literally 25 years. You know, I can't imagine them coming back like, oh, hey, you know what? We fell for 25 years. Why don't we try something else? You know, so end of it, truly an end of an era is is upon us. Yeah, no, it's big moves in the Pokemon universe. I mean, obviously, we know how things are wrapping up. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go. It's going to be wild to see how this all plays out. All right. So before we get into comic talk, because I have to address something. I put it on social media. I was going to do it for the brand. (laughs) Oh, God. I did it. Don't ever say I don't do anything for you, ODPH Society. He put himself through hell. Oh, my God. Uh. I caught Gotham Knights, the debut show involving the teens of Gotham that was on after Superman and Lois. Yeah, so th- this, of course, is the CW show that's not tied into the Arrowverse, not tied into the Superman and Loisverse. It's its own kind of thing where... We know this isn't a spoiler. We know this from the trailers yes. that Batman is dead and the Bat family is rallying to take up the mantle of protecting Gotham City and finding who killed Batman. Yeah. So I'm not going to even shy away from this. We're going to get into spoiler talk. I mean, I think we should be transparent. You know, we, we heard about the concept. Like, okay, that could be something. Saw the trailer and went, fuck, that looks awful. Yeah. So I went in with this. I was going to get, I gave it an open mind. I, I genuinely did. Okay. So this is my spoiler review, though. Okay. The show never planted its feet before it started running. Oh, boy. Like, within the first few moments, you're introduced to Batman's new adopted son, Turner Hayes. Okay. And the only thing you pick up on him is he was adopted more or less the same way that Bruce adopts everybody else. Um, they're orphaned by their parents being killed off for reasons. I'll say a sad set of circumstances. Yeah, th- th- there's reasons behind it. Yeah. yeah, so you understand. Okay, okay. there's, but they they never say why. Okay. 
So you see him, and it's typical rich kid. Uh, he's at high school. His yeah. best friend is a character we know, known as Stephanie Brown, aka Spoiler. Okay. So okay. They're, they're yeah they're kind of BFFs, and you see like he's doing fencing at Gotham High, and then all of a sudden goes like, hey, let's have a party. So we have a party at Wayne Manor, cause why, Pad? Reasons. Meanwhile, at Wayne Tower, you see three kids trying to break into Bruce Wayne's office, mm-hmm. which has this nice skyline over Gotham. You know, it's amazing, whatever. And these three kids turn out to be Harper Rowe, who you know from the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo run. Okay. Bluebird. Her brother, Cullen. And a character from the comics we know as Dula, who claims that she is the Joker's daughter. Okay. They grew up in Arkham. Okay. Okay, so here we are. Okay. They break in the office, and they are they were paid mysteriously $100,000 to steal Joe Chill's gun from a safe. Okay. They go in, and the gun is warm. Like mm. it was just used. Right, just handled. Okay. They look out the window, and in blood, the bat is dead. And broken, uh, lying on the street, dead, is Bruce Wayne with the mask on. Okay. Still in a suit, mind you. Sure. But he's been killed. Sure. By somebody shot him and killed him, throw him out the window. Sure, sure. Well, all of a sudden, Gotham PD rolls up. These three get arrested. Okay. They pull up. To Wayne Manor to tell Turner, who's in middle of a party with uh, whoever is supposed to be the Alfred of this universe, I am assuming. Okay. Um, they never that, actually say Alfred. No, Alfred's not here. There's somebody else that's watching the house. Christ. So it, it's a weird thing going on. Oh, Christ. So you have Harvey Dent, who's played by Misha um, Collins from um, Supernatural fame, Supernatural. Castiel. So yeah. And he's trying to make this happen, and it's just, it's this, this, trying just, his best. Yeah, this is just not coming down. So you do see that he's there and he's trying to tell Turner, you know, Bruce is dead. And, and like all of a sudden you see the rich kid party and is like now trying to emotionally connect. Like, oh man, you know, this is wrong and, and whatever. Meanwhile, at the party, there's a mysterious girl that's walking around that he is like, oh, do I know you? And she's like, oh, we have classes together. And we turn out later that she's, Carrie Kelly. Okay. The Robin from The Dark Knight Returns. I was say, the name rang a bell for a second there. Yeah. yeah. Which I got to admit, I did not mind her. She was uh, Navia Robinson. Okay. I thought she she was okay on the show, so I don't mind her at all. But where it all plays out is you don't know that she's Robin until late right. in the show. Right. Because what happens is these three kids are arrested for the murder of Bruce Wayne, and suddenly Turner finds his way into the bat cave that he has never known about because the entire time he's never known Bruce's bats. Right. He breaks in with Stephanie. They randomly hack into the codes of the bank accounts. Oh, convenient. And they find out that the $100,000 used to pay for the three kids came out of Turner's bank account. Ooh. He's now arrested for murder. The four of them are now getting taken to Blackgate Prison. Yeah. And Dula, the Joker's daughter, is the only one picking up that, yeah, you know, we were set up. I don't know who gave me the $100,000, but we were all set up. They're going to kill us. Right. So Turner, 
who can't fight his way out of anything. Like you see him get punked out in the prison cell. Right. She's going, do you want to die? Cause you now need to leave with us or you're going to die. So they somehow (laughs) cause this police van that they're in to crash. Oh boy. Which they take out the driver. So you see Turner is like sticking his hand through the, uh, divider there trying to drive one handed. Right. They crash the thing. Yeah. And then sure enough, they wind up coming out and all of Gotham PD is standing there waiting, like with guns drawn on them. Right. And she's like, and uh Dula is the only one smart enough. She pulls the gun from one of the officers and has one of the officers held at point and said like, we're leaving. You're not killing us. Right. So Turner gets in the way and says, no, my dad wouldn't do this. And she's going, you don't realize they're going to kill us. They're yeah. all in on this. Like, yeah. what are you missing? And sure enough, the one cop goes, yeah, she's right. <laughs> you guys are going to die. And you're taking the fall for this. So all of a sudden, Robin makes the appearance. Big time explosions because she's throwing um, detonators around. Gets them out of there. They wind up escaping to the clock tower that you see from Birds of Prey. Right. Meanwhile, Gotham is completely going crazy right now. They brought back the Misfits gang from The Dark Knight Returns. Oh, okay, yeah. And they're now saying, well, we're now on the run. We need to figure out who did this. And during this time, you see basically like Bluebird and her brother <coughs> like have, have pickpocketed everybody involved. They find a coin. Pad, this coin has an owl on it. Who is this involving? Court of Owls? Yep. Oh, Christ. So the Court of Owls have arranged this, and you see the doula is freaking out because she understands what that coin means, but everybody else has no idea what's going on, and she's basically saying, we're dead because they're now sending the Talon after us. Oh, Christ. And it ends with the Talon cutting the head off. Literally, you see the decapitation of, of the cop's head that that let these kids go by his car. And he's now running around town with his sword looking for them. All the while the, um, whoever was supposed to be Alfred in this universe is sitting at Wayne Manor with a coin. Jesus. So it's been a setup this entire time. Good Lord. Fade to black. Well, for what it's worth, according to TV line.com, Gotham Knights debuted to 602,000 viewers a 0.1 rating uh, quote which is on par with what Walker Independence opened with in the fall which was 615,000 and a 0.1 leading out the network's other most watched program uh, Superman and Lois did phenomenal 753,000 okay it's, uh, on par with that's this, on par for on the par. CW uh, and for what it's worth here's here's this is I don't think it's going to get any better I'm not going to watch this show just because no sounds, I'm, I'm out I'm it, out it sounds fucking terrible but the IGN review, and I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but like just the little summary. So if you've never read an IGN review, they have the full long thing, and they have, they have like a little summary of like the the TLDR. Too long, didn't read. Mm-hmm. So it's a and now, mind you, this isn't for episode one. This is for episodes one through six. Okay, <laughs> okay. Let's so go. the CW's Gotham Knights season one episodes one through six review. Now, for those who don't know, IGN does things out of ten. This is a four, and it's a bad quote. With a cast of too many bland, forgettable characters and a central mystery that's anything but compelling, Gotham Knights stands as one of the weakest live-action Batman projects in a long time, close quote. I'm hard-pressed not to agree with him. Like, I'm sorry, like, I think that's spot on. I just think that they had too many characters that didn't stand out, and honestly, I could not care about the new Bat-son, whoever he is. So, here's the thing, like, the Arrowverse... 
they kind of loosely touched on Batman with Batwoman. Mm-hmm. You know, the Superman and Lois universe never even mentioned. This is clearly, as we said, not tied into any of those two universes. So this is its own thing. I think where it could have done better is a pre is kind of like with the game. We're like, oh, it's yeah. Why it, did you tie it to the video game? Well, you could, or even just like, oh, the characters are already pre-established. You know, they're already a family. They're already a thing, and go from there rather than this convoluted. Hey, we made up this other adopted kid for him to bring in. That's not Tim, Jason. You know, Dick or Damien. Dick or Damien. It's somebody new, and we're going to bring in a Joker's daughter. Like, why? Why are we making it this convoluted? Exactly. That was my problem with You've this. You've already got the pieces. You've got Batman, who's been around for like 80-some-odd years, whatever the hell it is. Mm-hmm. You don't need to make it this convoluted. The blueprint is there. You just need to put it together. That's exactly the point, Pat. You literally sat here, and you combined five people together out of different eras of Batman. Yeah. And what like this is kind of why Man of or Batman Superman Dawn of Justice failed. You try doing too much yeah. with too many parts. Yeah. And you don't establish anything for me to care. Yeah. Like I'm sorry. I have no the the Turner Hayes did nothing for me. Like I was like, what are we supposed to do? At one point at the gravesite of Bruce Wayne, he gives this very emotional speech, and I'm like, you were not acting like this prior. And right. if you want me to say you flipped a switch and now start caring, like, I'm sorry, I don't buy this. And it's nothing against the actor who played him. I just thought the writing was just all over the place. And especially when you try doing the Joker's daughter, like, I'm sorry, I've never liked the character. Sure. I just thought, it, like, because it comes from the time of when they were doing this, like the, the Bat families and the yeah. Joker families. And yeah. this one is always kind of hanged around, you know, hung around a little bit, I should say. Sure. You know, and, you know, like it hanged around in the shadows here. So, like, every now and then you'll see it, like, Dula appear. Sure, sure. But it's never been a main lead character. But, however, she, I thought, had at least an interesting story to say something, but it wasn't enough to make me go, oh, I'm in, I'm in. This is a thread I can hang on to. Yeah. Harper Rowe, I know from the Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo run. So, me, I'm like, okay, cool. We'll say Court of Owls, too. Yeah, Court of Owls. Like I said, the minute I saw Court of Owls, I'm like, Man, I love Court of Owls, but I don't love this. Right. Because right. this was literally how are five teens that one, only one, has training under Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Gonna be able to stop the Court of Freaking Owls. Right. Who literally went into Batman's house, took it over, went into Batman's office, killed him. Yeah. And framed him. Right. Like, framed four random kids for it. Right. Like, what are we doing here? That's why I say, like, if you take the framework of this story where, like, Bruce is dead and the Court of Owls did it and, you know, the Bad Family's got to unite to to figure out who did it. If this is, like, the DC animated universe or something tied in with, like, say, the Batman the Animated Series, mm-hmm. I'd believe it. You know, because they're established, they're around, they're, yeah. they're experienced. Like, okay, I can believe that. But, like, with this, you got a bunch of Joe Blows and, and Jane Doe's off the street who, like, don't know shit from Shinola when it comes to a fight. Yeah. And they're expected to stop all this? No. Exactly. No. Like like you said, like, Turner Hayes has never fought anybody on this show. Like, he got, like, they had a, a quote-unquote fight in prison, like, in the cell against the guards, and he was getting punked out bad. I, I can only suspend disbelief for so long. Yeah, like, that's the whole problem with this. That I'm just saying you're going, how are these kids going to fight their way from the court of owls. And I'm like I said, the one Robin, I understand. Sure. You're trained under Batman. So at least you have an idea what you're doing. Everybody else is very, very new 
to this whole world. And the daughter from the Joker grew up in Arkham. So she at least knows who villains are. But I'm sorry, like Stephanie Brown is basically Oracle here. She's a computer right, hack. Right. Well, that's not how she is in the comics. So, like, you try doing too much without establishing a connection for me as a fan to watch. And I could care less if they got arrested or not. I really don't. <sighs> like, it was just such a mess with where they were going, and they tried doing too much with too little set in stone to build off of. It didn't do it for me. I know a couple people really liked it. And listen, if you did, hey, that's cool. I don't, I'm not knocking you on your fandom. I'm just saying this is not for me. And if you want to have a discussion about this show, hashtag ODPHpod. I will talk about it, but I'm one and done with this. I'm sorry. This just is not for me. If you're watching it, you know, let me know if it gets better, but I'm sorry. Just, I can't. <laughs> just too much uh, real messy storylines for me to really care about moving forward. I got a lot of stuff to do on my time, including reading comics. Yeah. So let's segue into that, Pad. Yeah, so I got two this week, both of them Star Wars. It's kind of a quiet week of things uh, overall. Uh, so the first one is Star Wars Yoda, issue number five. Uh, and the description of this is, quote, Rise of the Dark Side. There is a darkness rising among the latest Jedi initiates. Will Master Yoda and Master Dooku be able to recognize and stop the threat? Or will their young students be led astray by the dark side of the Force? Uh, this one coming from Jody Hauser. Uh, and then Luke Ross is the artist. Highly recommend this series. It's a great, fun read. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not leastly, Star Wars The High Republic Adventures, issue number three, from Daniel, uh, Daniel Jose Older, uh, who is the author, wrote a couple of books as well. And then from Tony Bruno, uh, who is the artist, uh, quote, hidden aboard the Dark, Gra- dark Grax ship, Sav, Maz Kanata hmm. uh, and her crew pause to plot their next move while the villainous uh, Arkic makes preparations to acquire a devastating new weapon. When the deal goes explosive, Sav must make an important decision, save her new friends or save her own skin. Uh, so definitely recommend those two because, hey, Star Wars High Republic, as I've said, some of the best storytelling they've done in quite some time that is not from Dave Filoni or John Favreau. Yeah, you can't go wrong with those picks, Pat. Great selections. Uh, for me this week... Very, very solid lineup. Uh, a few books definitely you want to keep on the radar. First from Comixology Originals, Grammaton Punch. Now, Pad, I know you're not into horror stuff. Nope. But this one you might be into. Are you into ghost stories? Yeah, kind of. Okay, so this is a story about a young boy who is born during a solar eclipse. Okay. And he winds up getting the power of seeing ghosts. Hmm. So... Growing up, he goes through this weird phase where he can see them and he's more or less getting his energy drained from them. Okay. Until he realizes he can actually touch them. Oh. So there's one that's haunting and then literally you see him knock the holy heck out of it. (laughs) And almost like a anime style punch. So... This book was a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, Grammaton Punch by Miles Gunter and Brian Andain. Um, and the this team really did something for me. Like I say, I was going in this not really knowing what to expect, but I was really surprised at what I saw. And I, this is a fun story. Like where it goes definitely was the surprise of the week for me. So Comixology Originals, definitely recommend picking that up. Online, so you definitely want to keep that on your radar when you get to the comic shops. Next up, though, whew, we have probably my pick of the week, oh. and this has been a book that uh, we've been talking about for a while now, and it's finally here 
from our good friends over at Black Market Narrative and Image Comics, no one, number one, Kyle Higgins, Brian Basilito, and Geraldo Boras uh, introduce a murder mystery into the massive verse like nobody else. This book is absolutely phenomenal. And this is also the one that has the companion podcast, Who Is No One, with Rachel Lee Cook and Patton Oswalt. Oh, okay. So you do need to check out both, but it plays into each other because when a string of murders are happening in Pittsburgh, you're seeing now a mystery is getting unraveled. And there's a lot of moving parts happening here. And there's more or less, more or less like three central characters at this stage you got to keep your eyes on. Mm. And it ends with a, a real shock in the system, so to speak. And it's one that I didn't see coming, but I will tell you what. I was absolutely blown away by this issue. Right. I am super excited to dive into this. It's going to be 10 issues last I heard. Maxi series, and then I don't know where we're going after this. But the issue is out today. The podcast is dropping today. Last I checked. So definitely make sure you're following both. We will be talking about this on ODPH social media and Nerd Initiative going into the months ahead. So definitely keep your eyes out for that. Can't really spoil what's going on in Nerd Initiative with that just yet, but you'll definitely hear about it on the social media. So just gonna put that out there. Nice. So from Boom Studios, Berserker 12 pad is finally out. This is the conclusion of the Keanu Reeves story. Oh, yeah. Uh, involving Matt Kent, Ron Garney. Uh, really wild ending, uh, but one that I was not super surprised at, so to speak, if that makes any sense. Sure. The story has been about a half man, half God who has been immortal and is, uh, is an ultimate killing machine and is trying to find a way to end his life. Cause he's just gone through too much violence and, and just the existence part has been a question that's plagued him. Like, why am I here? And how, and when does this finally end this vicious cycle? They just lives over and over. The ending is very intense um, for the first half, and then it goes in a couple different directions that I did see coming, but a couple of them I didn't. Mm-hmm. It will leave readers that have stuck with this book with a satisfying ending. I do, I truly do feel that. But I feel that they've got a lot of things coming out with this franchise with Netflix involved, a live-action adaptation, and then um, an anime, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So there's a lot that are ha- that will be going on with this that for the ending in this comic format, I thought was very, very solid. And I will say I wasn't super surprised at a few things. A couple did really throw me off, though. I'm not going to lie about that. But it ends just as you would kind of have an idea that it might, but still a very solid ending that you want to pick up. If you haven't read it, I'm going to tell you right now it's not for the squeamish. Right. It's a lot of intense violence going on there. So if you're not a fan of that, I'm going to give you fair warning now. But when you start hearing about the live action adaptation, I think it's going to pick up some steam. And I wouldn't doubt that we might hear a return to the comics after that. That's just me speculating. I do not know anything involving that. I'm just going to speculate a little bit because they have a lot of stuff lined up. Last I heard, everything was still a go. So if that's still the case, you definitely want to keep an eye out for that. House of Slaughter, number 13, Tate Brombell, Antonio Fuso. Uh, definitely diving into the Something is Killing the Children spinoff. The story of uh, Jace Boucher is really picking up some steam. It's getting that slow burn treatment. Right. That this franchise does better than anybody. I'm sorry. Like, I'm Something is Killing the Children, I think, sets the bar for it. This is like the 1B for it. It's a story that is picking up a lot of momentum and 
it will really have some fans talking after this issue. Guarantee you that. So you definitely want to keep your eyes out for that. Uh, I, I can always talk about something that's killing the children. I, I really love that series. And like I said, House of Slaughter is not disappointed. It's an anthology book too, so the arcs are self-contained. So you don't need to read one and then the other to keep the story going. Last on my list this week is Black Cloak number three. Kelly Thompson, Meredith McLaren, really diving into the fantasy murder mystery going on there. This book has been so solid, and I can't recommend it enough. If you're into something that's a little different, a little not your average murder mystery, this is your book. Okay. And a lot of moving parts going on with this. Um, the artwork pad, I think you might dig this a little bit. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I really enjoy the art style of this. So, and it really complements the story going on. A little more emotional stuff is getting revealed here involving the officers investigating, but it's one you definitely want to go check out. And like we always say, make sure you're going out supporting your local comic shops. A lot of stuff is out this week, so you definitely don't want to pass that up and make sure you're supporting your favorite independent comic podcast. We do put in a lot of work, so we definitely want to give you those recommendations and then talk about them after, so make sure we do that. Let's keep it very short and sweet for anything and everything that is the ODPH. ODPHpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Kenan. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.